Weddings, werewolves, and web fluid. Welcome to another edition of Marvel vs. Marvel, the podcast where two geeks from different sides of the spectrum, ladies and gentlemen, explore the Marvel movies and TV shows from all over the years and delve into the rich history of the characters and stories that have been knocking around since the 1960s. And the way it works is that uh, one of us who has never read a comic book, a Marvel comic book before in their life, will re-watch a Marvel movie or a TV show and then quiz the other half of the equation, who is a walking Marvel encyclopedia. If anything has too much Marvel knowledge, and it's really kept him from achieving true happiness. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rob Holden, comedian, writer, and the encyclopedia part of the equation. Uh, and I'm joined on the podcast by the man that makes it all possible through the power of his ignorance. It's the man who's never read a Marvel comic in his life, Mr. Will Preston. Man who's made it possible through the power of his ignorance. That's going to be on my tombstone. <laughs> I think it's a good way to go out. I also think it could be a t-shirt, powered by ignorance. Pa- yeah, yeah. Alternatively, Edinburgh Show, uh, autobiography title. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could do that, providing I don't you know, become some kind of idiot and it just adds insult to injury. Although, you know, some would argue that that's already well, happened. Well, I mean... <laughs> I mean, maybe some boats have already set sail. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, We've been having such a fantastic time doing this podcast. We started it in lockdown. I don't think we're going to stop. No. no point stopping. No. Uh, we've got listeners now. Not like at the start, hey, Will. No, no, we just have to listen to each other going, oh, you sound nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fun. Well, that's something we do privately, Will. Uh, um, it's been. Uh, and every week we get to see the downloads roll in. And we, it just, it, there's more and more people coming on board every time. We're so excited and pleased to have so many people. And we see that through. That first episode, that with the dodgy, slightly dodgy recorded Iron Man episode. Yeah. Every week, more and more people are listening to that. I don't think it's one people go back and revisit, or perhaps I'm wrong, but that's a clear indicator to us of how many wonderful new listeners uh, people are discovering the show, and we're really excited about that. And from time to time, Will, mm-hmm. and sometimes more than from time to time, people want to know what we're up to, what we're getting up to, Outside of the podcast, they hear us say comedian, and then they want to experience a little bit more, a little bit of a taste of the wild, rich lives that we lead as comedians <laughs> and writers and men of hilarity. Um, so we should probably what have you? What have you? I think what they're getting at, Will, is what have we been up to, and what can they sample and experience of ours? And that's something that you can help them out with more than anyone else, quite frankly. Because if you want some Willie P, you're dishing it out three times a right. That's what I hear, anyway. That's what it says in the uh, in the gents. Yeah, in the gents. The, on the wall. Yeah, yeah. The United Kingdom's uh, single gents toilet. They they all gather thousands of men. Sit one urinal. Uh, it's, it's quite a smell. Uh, they, yeah, uh, this you're right to you're right to say three times a week. I have uh, for the last few months. I have been on Twitch, uh, a very popular streaming platform, where I mostly game, but sometimes try other things too. Is it just for the young people, Will? My old my old brain and body. Here's Twitch, and I must admit, I get very scared. Not as scared as I do when I hear TikTok, but I still get a bit <laughs> nervous. Is it just for the young? It's not. What do we, what do, we do? It's not. I, I actually uh, had, had a guy watching me who's uh, some 60 year old man from New York who was watching me play Fallout 4. 
And and it was just well, it was, you it, can charge a lot of money for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very specialized. That's an OnlyFans, isn't? It? Not I'm sure. Have you confused Twitch with OnlyFans? Uh, not yet, not yet. We'll see how 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 raunchy <laughs> my uh, Twitch streams go. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I've had a great time doing it. Uh, mo- mostly playing games and riffing and bantering at the same time. People watch and can chat with me while I do it, and then sometimes I do just chatting streams where I talk about things. I I did a Simpsons one the other night but i don't know if i'll be doing that again it's uh two uh, there's rules of playing videos on there sadly but yeah it's it's fun uh, I, I love doing it i, I love doing it it's, it's, it's really good for, for me until uh, comedy returns really but i'll probably still do that so after. what have you been up to well you, you you stream uh mondays wednesdays and fridays is that right yeah 6 p.m Green- uh, i always say greenwich mean time you know uk time 6 p.m and i'm usually playing fallout 4 at the moment I, what i do is I'll play a long video game so everybody watching is with me on the journey and they watch me die multiple times and find things and they're going, no, no, turn right. Why aren't you picking up the sword? And I'm like, look, 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 look. I'm allowed to play this game badly, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there must be some... We should think about some cross-promotional thing. I'm not a big gamer. I I dip my toes in and out. Um... Like I, 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 we joked about this before. During lockdown, uh, Will hasn't gone near a comic book. I have not gone near my <laughs> PS4 during all the four months of of lockdown. That might be a fun thing to do. Uh, make Rob play something Marvel based and stream it. Maybe we could have a little fun uh, doing that with you explaining how video games work to me. I, th- I think um, be a who good knows. Idea. But that's where you can. Hmm. That's where you can catch Will three times a week, six p.m. on the GM and the T. Uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, can I tell? Mm. Yes. W- w- mm. Well, I got. I got. T- I can. If it doesn't, I can tell you my Sorry, Twitch, yeah. my Twitch uh, address or whatever, so you can go there. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Yeah, if you go on Twitch.tv and the username is Will Preston eighty seven, all one word, because Will Preston was already taken. P R E S T O N. 87, of course, for any of you identity thieves out there, is no doubt the year he was born. So that's just another <laughs> big hint. Uh, if you just go, come back through all the other episodes, I'm sure he mentions his mother's maiden name at some point oh, yeah. and his childhood <laughs> pet. <laughs> I'd like to reveal to Will that this entire podcast is just an elaborate scam. <laughs> it's an elaborate hoax to get your bank details, mate. At the end of it, I'm just like, ah, you deserve um, it, you deserve it. You deserve to take all my money. I, I I think I think I can tell you it's only yours, isn't it? I think I can tell you what I'm up to. I'm mm. I'm recording something for BBC Radio Four. I'll be doing that tomorrow, Ooh. which will be fun. Um, it's part of their uh, comedy festival series they've been putting out at the moment during lockdown. Uh, it's called Festival of the Unexpected, and I've got a, a role in that, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, recording that tomorrow, fingers crossed. Uh, so by the time this goes out, I don't know, but look look out for it on the BBC iPlayer. Uh, in regions where that is allowed, uh, which is just just Britain, isn't it? That's that's where they have it. So yeah, that should be that should be fun. I'm I'm playing a wrestling commentator, which is my real job as well. So that's a big stretch, big leap uh, for me. <laughs> now, before we uh, climb into what we've got before us today, it's important that we do the most fun bit of the job, which is to take a look at how things were looked on from the outside. My favourite part of the episode is 
what a non-Marvel fan kind of makes of these movies before they hit, before they they explode, and before they sort of change hearts and minds, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, we've already had uh, the first Spider-Man film that, that came out. So to go into the mind of a muggle, our resident muggle, Will Preston. Will, in 2002, what opinions did you have of Spider-Man after that, the, the first Sam Raimi movie, Tobey Maguire movie, came out? And did you go and see this one, Spider-Man 2, at the cinema? I didn't. I didn't see either of them. I didn't see any of the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans at the cinema. I, uh, I saw them late, at later points in my life. On DVD, when it was all fancy and new. You know, remember when DVDs were new? That's when I saw them. Oh, and they were so expensive. Mm. Oh, my God. Remember they were like 25 quid for a DVD? Outstanding. Oh, brutal. Mm. So, you uh, do you remember the furore about it? Do you remember this big movement when it came out? It didn't motivate you to go, but do you remember people talking about it? it the, the trailers and things? Oh, I, I I remember it. I remember it so well. Uh, it, but I, I I think at the time I was like going, "Oh, is it any good?" And he said, and people were saying, eh, "It's essentially the same as the first film." And now looking back on that, I wow. think that is totally ridiculous. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a Spider-Man film, but it's like mm, there's a bit more to it. The thing is that at the time, uh, sequel people were so used to. Um, the sequels, special, especially action sequels, mm. they were always terrible. But the the second one was always like they can't. We can't just do. We can't just carry on the story in this one. He's got to go back in time or to the moon <laughs> or you know he fights a, a clone. It's got it always got to be like a weird like we only had enough for one movie mm. to do another. Thing now we've got to we've got to like take a different film and wadge it on. So I think people were expecting they had a high expectation that sequels would be vastly different rather than a continuation of a narrative. Um, so I can really see people, especially if they if they were kind of just you know sort of action movie fans, feeling a bit like all oh, this just carried on the thing we saw last time. It didn't send him to Atlantis. What's going on? <laughs> um, so I can I can kind of get my head around that. But take us through though, Will. Even though you didn't see it when it first came out, you're the movie man. You've got the stats. You've got the figures. We've been doing this through phase two of uh, the MCU coverage, and I think now we're going to do it for every movie, aren't we? Really, because it's, oh, it's an interesting little peek. It really is. It really is. It, it, this, it, this is quantifying a movie essentially. <laughs> I, I, oh look how excited he is I, I, If you could see him now ladies and gentlemen While rubbing his hands on his thighs Oh his little nose is shining bright red He's so excited he gets to play with you numbers d- You just described me like an overexcited 19th century capitalist <laughs> Yes I'm kind of, Well it's not that You just you love a spreadsheet That's I, all it is I, Will I, You love a spreadsheet I do I absolutely love spreadsheets I also love looking at these figures And trying to calculate how good a film is Compared to other films by, by money <laughs> alone. Okay, so this film, Spider-Man Two, the budget was twenty million dollars, but the box office take. Tw- sorry, not twenty two hundred million dollars. That would have been quite the uh, comeback. <laughs> and the bo- ah, shush. It's like, geez, they spent they spent like over a hundred million on the first one, and then they went, nope, you get twenty this time. <laughs> <laughs> People loved it so much they forwent their contracts. <laughs> however you say it no 200 million dollars budget but the box office takings 
were 789 million. So, I mean, that secures Spider-Man 3. Whether or not you enjoyed it, it <laughs> yeah. was it was I, financially secured through that film. Yeah, I don't. I I never know whether because the, the first one, I'm fairly certain, the first one was a really big, was like the biggest success, wasn't it? I think. Well, well, the first, I, I, the I'll, first movie was a huge success. I'm looking at the figures now. The budget for the first Spider-Man film was 139 million. Box office was 821.7 million, which means it was it was a better success. I, I don't know what yeah. this means oh, for the yeah, second yeah. one. I, yeah, that, that's quite depressing for the second one. Or maybe it hits some kind of glass ceiling or some kind of limit over how much you can make at the box office over a weekend at that time. What? Yeah, I, I think if you take a look at... Um, it's important to take a look at what other superhero movies were doing. This, right? Okay, this I is think true. You, you, yeah. you said a glass, a glass ceiling is a really good point. Like, if we compare it to Blade... Mm-hmm. What's, what was Blade doing in terms of box office? Well, Blade, that was 1998. When, when did this film come out again? Is it 2004? This is 2002. 2002, sorry. Yeah, what? Two, yeah the, when did the first... Yeah. This, this is 2002, the, the second Spider-Man. Or was that the first one? Uh, Just a second. I'm going to have to quickly... X-Men's, X-Men's 2000, Spider-Man's 2001, I think. But I, I assume this... I thought this was... Hmm. Just a second. Gonna get it out. Gonna get it. Gonna get it out. Two thousand four. Two thousand. I was right. Two thousand four because this the first one. It is two thousand four. The first one's over two. Yeah, two thousand and two. Two thousand one. Yep. I am. I am correct. I am very correct. Yeah. Yay. So. So yeah. So the first. The first Marvel movie, really, aside from Howard the Duck, Blade. And, and X Men. What's it? What's it? How's it stand compared to that? Then that's seven hundred eighty-nine million that it makes, which sounds like a bit of a disappointment because it's slightly less. Yeah, but, it's, what, but it's how still... is it doing compared to? Well, let's have a look. Well, Blade was a smaller movie. Blade, Blade was a smaller movie. wasn't really a superhero movie per se. It was just, it was just mm. an action sci-fi fantasy. What you call it? But the box office on that, nineteen ninety-eight, one hundred thirty-one point two million dollars. Which is pretty good. It's not bad. Mm, but you, I mean, that's it, it, so Spider-Man made like eight times more. Yeah. And what about so the the nearest comparison then would be the two thousand X-Men movie, I guess, because yeah. that's that, the big superhero one, I would think. And that didn't make much uh, that much more. I mean, actually, I say say that it's pretty much double, but still pales in comparison to Spider-Man two and one. Uh, X-Men made a box office. Taking, uh, as you will have noted during the previous podcasts, uh, $296.3 million. Not wow. bad. That's so good. But, so, yeah, yeah, Spider-Man 2 takes a little dip there, but I think you're probably right. I think what that's showing us is that maybe you can't wring any more money out of these people. Yeah. Maybe that's literally what the market will bear. Terminal velocity um, in terms of huge. finance. That's terminal velocity right there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, but it's it's yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it is really a surprising and amazing thing how much of a huge success the first Spider-Man film was, um, and uh, yeah, that's why Spider-Man three isn't going anywhere. Um, well, let's take a little look now then at, at I guess the comic book, the publication kind of side. Of this story that we see mm. Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire bringing to us in 2004, it's based largely on a 1967 um, story, 
which is kind of one issue but has ramifications over about three issues mm. called Spider-Man No More by Stan Lee and the incredible artist called John Romita Sr. And it's it's one of the, if not the, most famous Spider-Man story ever told. Um, it's really, really famous and it's really, really popular. Um, so we, we talked in the first Spider-Man movie about the partnership between the Spider-Man co-creators Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Um, and Ditko was the was the artist and, and co-collaborator on Spider-Man for three years, but then he has this big falling out with Stan Lee over who the Green Goblin should really be. And Ditko departs, and in comes uh, this guy called John Romita, who is this incredible artist, and, and he, 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 he joins Stan Lee for a, a, a substantial period of time. Ditko's run is about... 38 40 issues and it's like one long origin story mm. it it really sets the world of spider-man you get like all the supporting cast and all of that are there in those first three years that ditko and lee do together when ramita comes on board there's a there's a first of all there's a big dynamic change in the art style um he he, he fleshes he literally fleshes out these characters ditko drew spider-man and his gang very skinny, very gangly, yeah. massive horn-rimmed glasses for, for Peter Parker. And Ramita's art makes it look like the characters have grown into adults, and they've all physically fleshed out. Peter's got broader shoulders, like physically his limbs are thicker. Everyone's Everyone just looks fleshed out and like they have grown, and it really matches the time, really, because it it feels like this is them when they're when they've just graduated, when they've they've really they're really making their way into the adult world now. Peter especially, Ramita's style in in this story is the is the art style that really sticks with the character for 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 decades, and it's kind of echoed by by other artists that come after him. The spectacle wearing gangly teenage kid is gone, and here's Peter Parker, <laughs> young adult, college student. Um, and it's it's quite telling that it matches this story in, in Spider-Man Two and in Spider-Man No More. This thread of of growing up, which is kind of what it's all about. The Ditko era is all about this neurotic, oppressed high school kid looking and acting and feeling completely differently to any other bold superhero of the time. And Peter Parker looks weird. Spider-Man is gangly and his limbs are ever and he looks weird. And the whole cast looked like the average Joe on the street. And the Ramita era arrives and kind of blows that all away. And there's a clear design and intention with Stan and John to make Spidey in a supporting cast a lot more attractive and dynamic and bold and make them like almost actors and actresses that you kind of are you're attracted to and I don't mean that in a <laughs> kind of way but just they're they're attractive to look at and like any movie star there's something compelling about that um and and that he really does that you know MJ is a is it, we see MJ for the first time with John Romita and she's like a stunning you know knockout she's meant to be an absolute drop dead redhead good and you know Gwen Stacy gets gets it fleshed out as well this story, Spider-Man No More, is, is as we said, about kind of growing up. Pete gives up being Spider-Man. 
um, and and it's his desire to try to lead a normal life. It's seen as a story that cements Pete's transition from the high school kid with no friends who stumbled into these powers and this journey from that to a young man at college who has Pete now has got friends. He's got one girlfriend and another girl who also really likes him, and they're both amazing people. And he's got a real life. He buys a motorbike. <laughs> he's like, he's suddenly cool, man. He's suddenly like a pretty cool young, you know, college kid. And and it's it's about the, the, he has now a, a choice in which life to lead. Um, and it's about whether his mantra of with great power comes great responsibility. Is it? A simplistic, childish notion of a lost, grieving teenager, or is it something that he still truly believes in? Was that responsibility ever truly real, or mm. was it just a silly thing a teenager kind of thought, you know? And what really frames this idea of growing up, becoming an adult, making these grown up choices is something very, very real that happens in the letter pages of these issues. Spider-Man No More. Right. If you've never read a comic book before, it's quite a lot of you haven't. Um, I remember we are fully hashtag no gatekeeping. <laughs> if you've never read um, a comic book before, popular comic books traditionally and some of the times these days, they'll generally have a page at the end of the book where the editor prints fan letters. Mm. And it's from fans kind of sharing their story, why they love the comic and the characters and ask questions. And um, in issue 50... They get a very special letter um, from Corporal Leonard Sinclair fighting in the Vietnam War when he writes this letter. Um, And it's published in the first part of the story, issue 50. And I'm just going to read something to you. Yep. Dear Stan and John, I thought I had left comic books somewhere in my past, but once again, I find myself reading them. It would surprise and shock many people back in the States to learn that so many servicemen here in the war read them, especially the Marvel Comics group, which is sold at every posting I've been over here. And it always makes us mad to miss an issue. We don't have much time for reading here in Vietnam, although we usually are able to squeeze in enough time to read your Marvels. Spider-Man is by far my favourite, although all of your superheroes are really something. We could sure use them over here, but I guess we'll just have to rely on our own talents. It may be a coincidence, but we think of ourselves as junior superheroes. If you get a chance, send one over here and lend a hand. But to be serious for a second, thanks a lot for providing a lot of us with some good action-packed reading material. We really enjoy your series. They, like Letters from Home, help take our minds out of Vietnam for a small while. And Stanley wrote back thanking him and giving him a free subscription to the comic. We were going to set that up so that wherever he was posted, he would be able to get a free a free copy. And then in the final part of, of Guess the Spider-Man No More, kind of three issues, issue 53, the following was printed. Dear Stan, some of us in the headquarters section of India Company are Spider-Man fans, and we regret to inform you that Corporal St. Clair, whose letter was printed in Spider-Man 50, was killed in action on the 28th of February, 1967. He was a squad leader in our third platoon when his patrol was ambushed southwest of Da Nang. 
your comic Spider-Man is the most sought-after piece of literature and artwork in this company. Keep up the good work. You're a real morale booster. <laughs> and Stan wrote back, um, God rest you, soldier, and God bless you all. We express the fervent hope that the day will soon come when men in every land will walk together in peace and in brotherhood. Aww. And I think that's important to this story about growing up and about taking responsibility. Hmm. And I also think it's important to remember things like this anytime someone says Marvel movies don't matter, Marvel comics don't matter, superheroes don't matter. Don't ever, ever let anyone, any of those voices, don't listen to them because these characters and these stories do matter and sometimes these things are the only thing that matter to someone. And I think that's kind of important. I know this whole story and journey here in this story is about is Spider-Man silly and childish and is it worth carrying on doing and I think those letters kind of answer that question and prove that <laughs> exactly. point to, to the fictional Spider-Man well speaking of letters well we probably haven't got any <laughs> anything quite as powerful as that but <laughs> no I don't think we can compete with Vietnam <laughs> but people, people did want to share their thoughts and their, and their memories of Spider-Man Two, um, and it was super popular. This is, of course, a Patreon pick, so we have had a lot of people uh, really excited about it. What have you got for us? Okay, we've got quite a few here. I say quite a few. We got three. Uh, we got we got first one here. Sean Begley, saw, who saw it on the big screen, said, "Love this movie. It's amazing." I watched it in a movie theatre in LA. The atmosphere in the building was amazing. The audience was whooping, hollering and yelling out, You go, Spidey! Incredible experience. It's certainly better than the first and the last, but the new Tom Holland flicks are great too. (laughs) Have you ever had a cinema experience with people like screaming at you know shouting and cheering and all that yes i did and i was saving it for a later episode but i'll tell you a little bit now it was when i saw uh, end game is it end game it was end game and it was the last third of the film i have never seen so many a cinema act like that in fact the only previous time i've ever seen anything like that was at the i went to see uh the force awakens star wars the force awakens on the day it came out and at the end of the film everybody clapped but on retrospect, I don't think they clapped because it was good. They just clapped because it wasn't terrible. <laughs> like relief, like, oh, oh you're another Star Wars hater. I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that, you know, it, it's they, they, they've not been... I, I had... <laughs> it's good. I, I mean, a buddy went to see um, a Friday night, like 11 p.m. showing of Snakes on a Plane. Oh. And everyone in that cinema had had a drink or was <laughs> drinking. And it was amazing. And, like, I've never heard a whole room... Like, when a spider bites that guy on the old Todger, the whole audience laughing out loud like it's a comedy. And when Samuel L. Jackson delivered the line, there was cheering and whooping and like, Yeah! <laughs> it was incredible. I would have went to see uh, John Wick 3 while drunk, but I was had a big Chinese, so I couldn't be that energetic. <laughs> Oh no no no! Big big Chinese and a few beers. That's no, that time. I'm amazed you stayed awake, mate. Hold I on. can barely remember it. Anyway, we got another letter here. Uh, Alex Palmer ranks this movie very highly. To me, the only thing that is on par with this Spider-Man Two is The Dark Knight, which is my favourite of all time. 
This film blew me away. It was exceptional in its portrayal of Parker as a kid and kind of a screw-up to boot. He's got this gift and it's only making things worse because at that age, it would. Seeing that along with the magnificent tragedy of Doc Ock, the hospital scene, the train scene, even the surprise Norman cameo, this movie is just so good. Wow, yeah. Uh, we've got something else, I think, from Alex that we're going to slot in a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, so stay tuned for that. Stay tuned like it's a radio show. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a radio Old show. Old media Rob. Or a live stream on Twitch, says Will. <laughs> yeah, we've got a final letter here. Uh, James Riley writes to say, This movie is still the best Spider-Man film for me and probably in the top ten for best superhero films of all time. Possibly top five, the more I think about it. It took Doc Ock basically a joke character at that point and made him both an absolute badass but equally sympathetic shows the strength of just having one well-defined villain rather than trying to cram in multiple antagonists yep totally wow that's something yeah that's something you'll see in the the next one um well thank you to everyone who reaches out you can do that by dropping an email to marvel versus marvel at gmail.com or you can tweet us at Marvel Versus, and then that's the end of it. It's just Marvel Versus Twitter. Don't let us have the extra Marvel. Too many Marvels, they said. So you can tweet us at Marvel Versus. Or the best way of making sure we get around to seeing and reading and saying it on the air is to head to Patreon and become a fully subscribed member of the Versaverse, yes. as Will dubbed us recently. The Versaverse. And we're sticking with. Yeah. Um, uh, if you head to patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash marvel versus marvel we've got an incredible selection of, of wonderful benefits and things for you there the first thing is you can support us which you should be doing anyway because we got we got light bulbs to pay for <laughs> we got electricity to pay for we've got wi-fi we've got hosting fees we've got storage costs we i mean it, it goes on and on and on folks um, and you should be listen. Media shouldn't be free. Those days are over. <laughs> Livewire and Napster are dead for a reason. <laughs> and if you think, if you think you're going to get excellent content for free as as we progress as a, an entertainment-based society, you're wrong. That's not going to happen. So get out the uh, get out the old PayPal accounts. Head over to Patreon and sort us out. You know it makes sense. If this is a this episode here is a Patreon pick, this episode here is kind of a reward because if you're a Patreon, if you're a patron, sorry, on Patreon, then you get to pick which non MCU projects we cover. Um, so if you head on over there, you can sort that out. There's also a whole bunch of other rewards and benefits you can get your hands on. We've got. Um, Blogs from old episodes giving you a deeper dive into X-Men, Captain America, Iron Man, and more. We've got bonus mini-episodes available covering Spider-Man's Clone War, the most ridiculous X-Men who've had mutant powers, the different people that have been Captain America. And we've got... um, You can get early access to the show, the main show, this show, three days before the rest of the world. You can listen to it on a Friday all over the weekend and not have to wait to Monday like the rest of the world. And then there's the top tier of Patreon that you can sign up for, get access to the VIP exclusive club, and you can get everything I've just said, plus access to a full-length bonus episode every single month. Top tier patron Fuzzy Dunlop the third writes in to say, This show 
has been helping me get through lockdown. I've been re-watching the movies along with the show, picking up the reading material you guys recommend, and generally expanding my Marvel experience every week thanks to you guys. And now there's more full-length episodes. I signed up straight away and was not disappointed. Yes. You hear that, Will? I heard that. Donald wasn't disappointed. Was not disappointed. All... All that extra background on the Guardians of the Galaxy and the rest of the cosmic characters. He's talking about our new bonus episode. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. I never knew anything about characters outside of Spider-Man the Avengers. And now, this, this gets me going. This gets me goosebumps. And now, I've ordered a copy of Annihilation to read and arrive next week. Man, yes. that feels so good. That feels to take great. someone who, like has never done anything outside of Avengers and Spider-Man, and they're now actually going to read Annihilation, which is one of my favourite... Ah! I'm also loving that VIP access to shows on a Friday means I can spend the weekend with the episode. Hey, man, I know... Uh, Fussy Dunlop, I think he's been there since the start of us having a Patreon. He's an OG. We thank you for that. Yeah. Um, Zubaya gets in touch. Zubaya requested this episode. He's one of the patrons that picked it. He says, Spider-Man 2 is one of the best comic book sequels of all time. I adore this film, and it's why I had to message the Patreon to have it included. I can't <laughs> wait. Peter J. Burns, another OG, made us those incredible badges. we got people sending us gifts now, folks. This is, this is getting unreal. Um, Peter J. Burns also requested this one on Patreon and says this week I've gone back through the bonus mini episodes and they really hold up to re-listening today I worked my way through the Annihilation bonus episode and the Guardians episode while I was pulling a long shift at work see what listen we get if you want to set up a podcast man every single bit of advice will say to you the uh, the maximum length of the episode should be between 20 and 30 minutes long. We're out here <laughs> dropping three-hour-plus ones, and that's the reason why. Because people have got long shifts at work. People have got long commutes to make. People have got long... They've got to clear out the shed. They've got to clear out the guttering. They've got days of tasks ahead of them, or they're just stuck with an incredibly dull life thanks to lockdown or how the world changes. That's why we're dropping so much on you. And Peter J. Burns, he knows the truth. He says, both were exceptional. I'm massively looking forward to Spider-Man 2. I'm so, so excited. Well, thanks for picking it, Peter and Zubair. We really appreciate the love. Indeed. The support. That's the bills taken care of. Well, mm. it's time to uh, get hold of that VHS, buddy. Oh, yes. We're still, we, we talk about the DVDs. The superior format. We, 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 you know, we're purists. We're purists. So let's let's plug it in. Sorry, not plug it in. Put it. In. I might have to plug it in. I might have to. I, I've been playing the PS the PS One. <laughs> I might have to change the aerials around. Put the TV back on. We're putting in the VHS. We're pressing play. I might start reading the story in a bit, or I might keep going on with this scene. But no, <laughs> we're, we're pressing play. So let's start. Let's start Spider Man Two. So Peter Parker is finding his double life increasingly difficult, precariously struggling to balance his crime-fighting duties with the demands of his normal life, Peter often finds his personal life taking a back seat. He loses a job, faces financial difficulties, and struggles to maintain his physics studies at Columbia University. 
So, Bia's personal life is an absolute shambles here, isn't it? I mean, he's broke, he's late all the time, he can't hold down mm. a job. Mm. I'm, I'm pretty right in guessing this is exactly what it's like in the comic books, right? Yeah, generally. I mean, there's a couple of weird times in the 90s where, uh, especially during that, clo- that clone oh. soccer we did on the, on the mini-episode where Peter's being written very terribly. But yeah, his social life is always in chaos. It's a defining hallmark of Pete's character. Being Spider-Man puts a constant strain on his personal life and his relationships, like friends and family and, you know, romantic or whatever. And that's, like, very different to Batman, Superman, Iron Man. Like, the time demands of a second life are what ruin Peter's life. And that is never... I mean, you you might you, you might get it a little bit here and there, but it's not really played up in the same way with any other character like it is with Spidey. Um, the, c- keeping secrets from everyone he cares about, and and whenever he gets one good thing happening for him, the rest of his life kind of falls apart. If he gets a great job, his romantic life goes down the pan. If he gets a great new girlfriend, supervillains start causing mayhem everywhere. Um, it's called the Parker Look. And he refers to it as that. It's an in-joke in a lot of his thoughts. Like, he'll say, oh, the old Parker look strikes again when he loses a job or gets dumped or whatever. And there's another nice little, like, MJ will bring it up occasionally. Like, even after they're split up, you'll go, oh, the old Parker look strikes again, eh? Um, hmm. And I know secret identities are not popular with modern movie makers or with modern audiences, but they provide all these fantastic opportunities for tension and for drama and for dilemmas. Peter Parker always has to be down on his luck and and the secret identity provides a lot of opportunities for that tension that we see at the very start of this movie. Like, everything's falling apart and if he just got rid of Spider-Man he'd have all this extra time. Yeah, 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 that that sounds about right. It it did make me think... uh... That, that that is again quite what what you've liked about Spider-Man is how how relatable he is, and it, life is like that. You can't have you can't have everything going right for you. Something there has to be sacrifices, no. and and I think that I felt for them in this film when it, this stuff was happening because I remember going through university I, and trying to keep a job and a girlfriend, and it just yeah hard hard. There, there, there's there's a lot there's so many like regular Muggle movies, <laughs> if you will, that are about like the the huge tension in a relationship because one of them has got a demanding job like that's kind of and and that's a very accepted form of we all know what a strain that could place if someone's putting their work ahead of their loved one or their family we can accept that is that is a huge strain and a really bad thing to do to to any relationship Mm, um but the the difference between like those kind of rom-com or dramatic TV shows and movies is that that person could generally always compromise on their job. They could take reduced hours, they could get a different job, they could quit, they could find a less demanding boss. What Spider-Man does is put you in exactly that position <laughs> but with something that he cannot walk away from. And he he will always put Spider-Man ahead of everyone else because because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. I know it's like it's like a sense of nobility, but anyway, back to the film. So Pete has an estranged has become estranged from his love interest Mary Jane, 
who, to Peter's disappointment, is in a relationship with John Jameson, the son of Pete's employer, Joe, J. Jonah Jameson. MJ turns increasingly hostile to Peter after he fails to keep a promise to see the play she's acting in. He's also estranged from his best friend, Harry Osborne, who accused Spider-Man of murdering his father and is angry at Pete for selling pictures of Spider-Man and fueling his fame. On top of this, Aunt May is broke and threatened with foreclosure from the bank. Pete also finds that his superpowers keep cutting out on him at the worst times, and he has no idea why. I, I want to uh, say from the off, the film was a joy from the word go. I mean, the opening scene <laughs> where he has to deliver the pizza, I, 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 it went straight in. Straight in, no lead up, no, ooh, there's a villain coming. No, it was straight in with the fun, straight in with the good times. Well, I say good times, he's having a bit of a hard time delivering a pizza. But it, it was just it was just whimsical and very i can't put my put, put my put my put my uh, put my finger on it but that, that bit where he, he he's just on the bike and then he goes around the corner and goes he goes it changes to spider-man and then he's, he's swinging away with the pizzas and that guy just yells spider-man took that guy's pizzas <laughs> i fucking love that it's great i mean i what i i loved in the in the, like if you watch that first movie like it, it's really interesting these films these two raimi films right they are so so interesting for what they're they are presenting superheroes for kind of sort of the first time mm. to massive mainstream audiences, and the target has got to be people that do not know this character or kind of know it but not really, mm. right? And what do you get with both of them? It's a good forty-five minutes before you see Peter in costume doing anything. Yeah, right. In that first one, you've got a huge build-up before he gets in the costume and yep. does stuff. You know, and, it, and and this one, I really feel like the little bit where he changes into Spider-Man, saves the kids, and then drops a pizza off, is like someone said, the focus of this movie is Peter Parker. The focus of this movie is Pete and his relationships. But we need to get Spider-Man in there a little bit in the first ten minutes. <laughs> so what can we do? Oh, right, he rescues two kids very quickly and delivers a pizza. And even later on, when he, he stops Doc Ock's experiment, he, it is like he ducks out the room, puts the costume on, does something for maybe maybe sixty seconds, two minutes, mm. then it's back to being Pete. It, it just it, it it kind of lays out that the most important thing about that, like you know, it is it's all about Pete and his life and his kind of and his emotion, the emotional side of it. It is. It, it kind of adds. Uh, I think flipping between it and doing things really quickly adds to the hectic lifestyle that he's currently doing yeah it really hammers that home yeah. and that's 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 what i love that's what i love because it feel it feels like it's undoable he doesn't feel like he's uh overcoming things it feels like he's he's, he's constantly firefighting his life and that is so relatable yes so relatable that's that's spot on there. mate. that's exactly what it is firefighting. it's all reaction it's all putting out fires yep also, uh, J. Jonah Jameson, again, I think one of the best thing about these films, J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, the, uh, the epitome of a hack journalist where he's just pulling headlines out of his rear end. I thought that was just perfect. Um, Why do we love him so much? That, uh, like, Because the character has that as well. Uh, the character is kind of awful, but you love him. You love how awful he is. I don't know. It's it's a it's not even love to hate because I don't think anyone hates Jonah. It's amazing. 
because because he's like a cartoon character. He's a hyperbole. He's a hyperbole of a hack of a hack news editor, who, and and he's just he he's missing an integral part of his humanity, where he's just constantly yelling at people, going back on what he said, lying constantly. It's it's like a it's like a circus. Every, every yeah. conversation with him is a circus. <laughs> That's what makes it so. I, I, I can yeah. I can just imagine how, how much fun those scenes were to construct with with Raimi and with. Um, with JK, yeah, oh, they're, they're they're impressive. God, they are. Also, uh, Peter living in utter squalor. That was something to see. I mean, that that apartment he's in is just awful. <clears throat> it looks like yeah. that shot. Shot, yeah. That 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 shot of the apartment. It they open the door, and the whole apartment is dark, so you have no sense of scale or size. Mm. You just have Pete silhouetted by the light of the doorway. Yeah. Uh, and 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 the frame looks really big because of the cinema screen, and then he clicks on that light, and you are hit in the face with with claustrophobia, and you are just jammed in there. Um, and I think again, this film is so good, <laughs> and and I don't mean in terms of just I don't, I don't I'm not even really thinking in terms of filmmaking, although that's a great scene. What it's so good at is straight from the get go, this movie knows the heart of Peter Parker. It knows the mm-hmm. heart of Spider-Man. It knows the heart of this character. It knows what's important and what you need to care about. And, you know, it, it, putting out fires all over his personal life is really important. Being harassed from all sides because he's Spider-Man is really important. Being the fact that he's he's poverty-stricken, working class, is really important, man. It's so it's so great that... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I love this film. It, it, it made me think about a last, when I was in New York City and I paid for a cheap hostel and it was just, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> it just reminded me of those good old days. Oh, dear. Compare that to, the, you know, and it's not to slag, I think they're, they're fine films, but compare it to the, <laughs> the modern MCU Spider-Man whose best friend is a multi-millionaire that flies him... Across the world on private jets yeah. and all that. It's it's a it's a it's a missing element. I feel, and I'm really glad to see it in this film at least. Yeah, you, I I reckon they should have stuck some of that in the MCU just for a bit before Tony Stark really takes over. But yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. It's, it's a diff- it's a different vibe. Anyway, Harry has come a long way since the last film. Harry, now head of Oscorp's research division, has invested in the research of brilliant scientist Otto Octavius. Otto is Peter's idol, as well as the subject of the college paper he's writing. Harry introduces them, and Peter has dinner with Dr. Octavius and his wife. During the meeting, Peter warns Octavius that the slightest miscalculation would ruin the experiment and possibly destroy the city. Octavius consoles him, stating it's his life work, and his wife adds he's done his homework. To perform a sustained fusion experiment, Octavius has developed a set of artificially artificially intelligent mechanical arms, which are impervious to heat and magnetism. So we see a lot more of Pete as a science guy in this movie. I mean, in the previous one, he had some knowledge of spiders, a little bit of knowledge of that. You know, he was a nerdy, geeky sort, but not redefined. I mean, is he a proper physics guy in in the comic books? I mean, is he studying physics? Um, yeah. So he he the, there's a lot more emphasis on this in the comic books because 
in the comic books, he creates web fluid and web shooters. Yes. Like, he is a genius inventor. No one else in the entire world has created this, this fluid that's stronger than steel <laughs> and yet evaporates, is in, and yet is, uh, is buoyant enough for him to swing and bounce on it and yet evaporates in an hour. And this, and this delivery device, which is high impact, all of that kind of stuff. So it, we don't get that in the movies because he has this weird organic web that comes yeah, out of yeah. his wrist. He, he's a, a, In the comic books, he's a child prodigy in, in, in science and in engineering. Um, and so much more so than Batman, who's always thought of as being you know really smart, Spidey is constantly having to invent Solutions to combat his villains. Yes, there's always a science aspect to get into it. Now, the science is always questionable <laughs> because, as as we stated in our Iron Man episode, Stan Lee writes science fiction by a man who has very limited understanding of science. But still, so he needs a solution for electros electricity powers. So he has to come up with something science-based for that, for the way that the vulture flies with this kind of gravity-cancelling equipment, for the rhino's artificially thick hide that lets him kind of do all this, you know, real devastating damage. Peter's always getting kind of knocked around to begin with, and then he's like, right, okay, back to the lab, regroup. What do I know about this? What do I do? What can I build to kind of counteract this? Um, And I, I don't... I mean, even... Uh, you get a bit of that in Iron Man, but generally mm. Iron Man's already got the solution, so it doesn't quite feel the same. The 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 one that I compare it to is Silver Age Flash, the Barry Allen Flash. He's always um, thinking of of ways to use physics to defeat his bizarrely powered enemies, but a lot of the time he's able to use super. Sp- it's like everything's easy with super speed. He's like, <laughs> oh, if I just run in circles around him, I'll suck all the oxygen out. Yeah, they can fall down. Um, so it's a, it feels a lot more like a guy who goes, okay, I gotta I gotta somehow desperately scramble parts together to build something to turn Electro's electricity off, and I'm broke, <laughs> and you know there's all that that comes out in it, which is really fun. He studies biophysics at, at college in the comic books. He he goes on to be a research assistant and a high school science teacher. He he becomes a creative engineer. At um, a very prestigious research and development company called Horizon Labs, hmm. and when he's working there, he decides that he can take every time he creates a new way of stopping a villain. There's a practical application to it in the real world. So, for instance, I was just reading some of this run recently. Spider Island. He invents a new way to stop Hydro Man and turn him into Flash, freeze him into ice without harming him. So when it wears off. He's perfectly fine. His organic kind of body hasn't been disrupted by this amazing flash freezing. And then he takes it into work and goes, I've invented this. And they go, that will revolutionize organ transplants. And he goes, yep, it's cool, isn't it? So that's this really awesome <laughs> shtick that he starts to do. Whatever he invents to to beat a villain has a, a practical application. And the, the company slap a patent on it and become very, very rich. So that was a cool little twist. Yeah. And then, with a little help from Dr. Octopus, he ends up running his own international tech company like Stark Industries. Uh, which is that, 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 is, that is pretty weird. So, with, with Doc Ock then, the big experiment does go horribly wrong. The artificial sun overloads and becomes unstable, but Octavius refuses to halt 
The building begins to implode and Otto's wife is killed by a shower of broken glass. Octavius's AI arms are fused to his body and the neural inhibitor chip, which prevents the AI from influencing his mind, is destroyed. Pete quickly changes into his spidey suit, saves Harry's life and shuts the experiment down, destroying the equipment in the process. Harry tells Spider-Man that saving his life has changed nothing and he still hates him. Uh, it, it was interesting to see Alfred Molina in the role of Doc Ock. Because I, I, yeah. I, I don't consider him a big actor. Like, 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 like a big name. Not like in the previous film you he's had... He's not a big Defo- name. Absolutely right. No, absolutely right, yeah. I mean, he's superb in this. Uh, and the only, only times I've seen him is in Raiders of the Lost Ark for a bit. And I saw him live uh, on stage in the West End... Uh, I can't I forget the name of the play, but it was about a painter, and it was very, he's very, very good in that. But I've never seen him in, in many big action, big films. Sorry, like you know, as, as a big name. No, because I think because he's a, he's a character actor. I think Willem Dafoe kind of walks treads that line of being a character actor who's kind of happened to have done like Platoon was yeah. huge, and off the back of that, you could then put him in things. Um, I I I, def- I think I think Raimi goes out of his way, certainly in these two anyway, to cast character actors first and foremost. Um, there's perhaps a, a, a consideration for that first one that Willem Dafoe's name has got some some cachet to it, hasn't it, and, and, and is needed. But yeah, he's definitely yeah, he's, he's definitely not a big name. You're right. Yeah, yeah. He looks just like my friend Neil's dad. <laughs> um, I always we always every time every time this movie is on telly or comes up Hang on, your dad's on the telly again. Send him a little text. He does. He does. Here kind he of... is. Time to leave that old woman alone. <laughs> he, he kind of does have a dad bod in this, doesn't he? Alfred Molina. Sure, and Doctor Octopus does. Yeah, he absolutely. Doctor Octopus very much does have a dad bod. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So the character, the character's short and portly. Very much more, much, much more than Molina is in here. Mm. Um, he's very short and round and squat and. Yeah, I might have to check some fit, uh, images of him in a bit. Also, uh, one gripe I have—I always had a gripe with this with this in the film. Who allowed? Is this going to be technical? Here it's we not, go. Well, it's not going to be that technical. Is, I'm going to sound is, like the guy from Ghostbusters. I'm going to sound like who allowed this kind of experiment <laughs> in a highly populated area? That's a very good point. It is. It is. They keep calling it a fusion reactor, and it's that like, just. I don't know why that would be. This this is like this is like Oppenheimer testing the nuclear bomb in like Los Angeles or something. Like it's okay, we're doing it in the suburbs. It's like no, it's a highly populated area. You should it's be doing mad. Expect- I I don't know. It, it seemed like hey, we got all of those funky like attic uh, apartments that hipsters have. Hey, we've managed to fit in all this science equipment to create a very small sun. <laughs> yeah, I can't work out whether that was a location. To, like yeah. the, the, the decision, nothing about the scene would have been changed mm. if it happened in like some sort of researchy type lab lab. Yeah, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean that's. Like like yeah. like Oscorp from the first movie. Yeah. If they had something like yeah. that, I don't, I don't. It wouldn't change anything about the scene or the story or the character. It wouldn't make any difference. I wonder if it was just some sort of location issue or budget issue. What, what I'd love, what I'd love, because it seems to have that sort of open plan apartment feel to it. What I love is like she went, yeah. went, went <laughs> Otto, with the hilly in the bit. Hide your pants. Put your pants in the bit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He's got pants on the radio. Like, 
It's an Airbnb they just rented out. <laughs> yeah. Whack a fusion reaction. Or, or even like there's there's some dirty plates out or a yogurt pot. <laughs> just to add to the realism that this place is lived in. I don't know. I'm thinking to, again, I'm thinking too much into things. Um so this is the end of Otto's wife in the movie. It's a very tragic ending. Aww. Very, very. It really is because she's lovely in the dinner yeah. scene. The two of them as a couple. It's a really great yeah. scene because you really feel what a war- a lot of warmth from them to each other yeah. and from them to Pete, and thus that makes you feel warmth for them, which is very important for what we're going to see. Um, so yeah, it's. It's real sad. It's isn't incredibly it? sad. But um, is is there is there anything we need to know about her? Was she did did she become a supervillain as well <laughs> for some reason? Like they, ah, you, oh, you know, you've like learned, they all do. You've learned so well. I know. I'm, Lady I'm ahead of the Doctor curve. Octopus. <clears throat> um, okay. Will you don't look to me like you're strapped in, <clears throat> and for this one, you're gonna need to be strapped in. Okay, so I'm strapped could you please in. strap yourself in? And if you listen at home. Strap in. The only wife of Dr. Octopus that we see in the comic books is Aunt May. Oh, uh, oh, I read so, a cracked sort of. article about this. Sort of. Yeah. Okay, so so after neglecting Aunt May's calls and letters during an intense period of being Spider-Man, Peter is um, finally alerted to a private wedding ceremony that his aunt is taking part in and he's not heard anything about this and so he goes there and finds that Aunt May is about to marry Doc Ock and he goes off as nuts and then the wedding gets interrupted by a mobster called Hammerhead Ah. now Hammerhead like talks like he's a 1920s Cagney kind of character and he's got a flat head that is, I forget how, somehow made of steel. <laughs> and so he runs at people and like headbutts them with his flat steel head. Thus, his name is Hammerhead. And if you shoot him in the head, it doesn't hurt him. I don't, again, I forget. Sorry, why. was this when was this so, was this when uh, like Marvel bought the rights to Dick Tracy? <laughs> this sounds like a Dick <laughs> <no>. Tracy villain. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. So Hammerhead and his goons like. Burst into the wedding ceremony. Uh, he's in the middle of a mob war with Doc Ock. And Doc Ock grabs Aunt May and his men and they run away. And it turns out that during a spell in prison, Otto learned that a widowed old lady, May Parker, had recently inherited a small Caribbean island Ugh. in the will of some forgotten family member. And on this small Caribbean <sighs> island, there's a really particular nuclear reactor that he needs to get his hands on. So when he gets out of prison, he starts dating her and he convinces Aunt May that he's a lovely reformed man and she falls in love with him. And he does treat her really, really well. And then they go off and, you know, attempt to get married. Spider-Man chases them down to the island with a nuclear reactor and Hammerhead attacks and everything goes wrong and the nuclear reactor explodes and, and Spidey and Aunt May escape and everyone else dies. But of course they don't die because it's, you know... And then like a year mm. or so later... Aunt May befriends a homeless man who asks her for help, and it turns out to be a down-and-out Doc Ock, who somehow escaped a nuclear explosion on an island and, I don't know, swam to New York? I'm not sure. Uh, he, she takes him in, and she cleans him up, and she gives him some of Uncle Ben's old clothes, and she's still like, he's such a lovely man, and Pete's like, he's... <laughs> and yeah, and also, I, the thing I forgot is that around this time, 
Homeless derelict, derelict Doc Ock is also being haunted by the ghost of Hammerhead, who did die in the explosion. Oh. So, um, Doc Ock then... Wait, where does it go? <laughs> yeah. Wait, Doc Ock creates a device that's meant to like destroy Hammerhead's ghost, but it goes wrong, and guess what it does? Instead of destroying his ghost, it brings it back to life. No. And he gets all his goons, and then he kidnaps... Aunt May and runs off with her and uh, Doc Ock does have some genuine affection for her he thinks she's a really nice sweet person so Otto convinces Spider-Man not to send him to prison straight away they team up put the differences aside and they go and save uh, Aunt May from Hammerhead and his and his the, the reformed ghost of Hammerhead and his goons and these stories have some really cool, very Stanley titles. Uh, my uncle, my enemy, um, the the ghost that haunted the octopus, oh. and my personal favourite, arm in arm in arm in arm in arm in arm in arm with Doctor Octopus. <laughs> oh, that's that that's something that that probably reads better on paper. Oh. That that reads better on paper. No, that's pure brilliant. Oh, of course, it reads better on paper. It's a, it's a freaking comic book. It's right. pure brilliant Stanley genius. That, that is, yeah, that is that is quite good. That is quite good. So, yeah, yeah. The thing to always remember about Stanley is that he's massively, incredibly cheesy at all times. There's no, he, he's not, he's not a, he's he's not, he's a very, I think he's a very genuine person. A part <laughs> of that, and it's just like I liked it because it had a pun in it. It had lots of the. Because you see, because Dr. Octopus has eight arms, so I wrote arm eight times. And I'm genuinely proud of it. <laughs> and he's just really, he's really like that. I love that about him. <laughs> he's, he, he, in kind of, if he didn't have success, you'd think that guy's a hack. But everything he did was golden, so he's not a hack. He's just like, yeah, I liked it. It was a silly pun. <laughs> <laughs> he's oh, great. That's good. That's good. Anyway, back to the story. Back to Dr. Octopus. He is unconscious after the accident. He is taken to a hospital to have the appendages removed. But the tentacles develop their own ability to move at will and brutally kill the surgeons. Octavius escapes the hospital and takes refuge in an abandoned building near the water. Now, first of all, that building would be way better for the experiment (laughs) because of regulations. (laughs) But more about that later. Uh, and also, this scene... I mean, someone else pointed this out to me way before we started this podcast. And they... Because I always had the... This, this was back when I had the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. as eh, not as good as the new Spider-Mans. But I've now had my mind flipped a bit. Uh, and, and they said, this, this mind scene... Mind flip! Mind, mind flip. flip! Mind flip! I, I, I was very, very convinced that this is brilliant. Because if you appreciate the kind of humour and style of Sam Raimi in regards to Evil Dead 2, this scene with the surgeons. I mean, my, my other half walked in during it and her jaw dropped and went, this is a lot. She laughed was like, this is a lot happening. And it's intense scenes. It's, it's, but it's kind of... It's because, yeah. and you're absolutely right, mm. it's, it's the same way that Evil Dead 2 mm. is. It's funny... But it's also really brutal. Yeah. I mean, I know they don't actually show graphic blood because of the, the kind of rating it's, but imagine being a little kid and seeing what those arms do. You see in Shadow, I'm sure in Shadow, you see one of the arms like go through someone and the scream the woman puts out. What, what, what he's doing there, to my mind, is mm. pure 
B-movie horror. Yeah. Like yeah. the woman backs up against the wall with her arms out by her hand and it's a tight close-up on her face and she does an ear-piercing scream as the monster lets let loose and, that, and they try and cut the, the things up. It's real, like, classic kind of monster horror, you know, mm. old, old black and white horror kind of monster movie thing. It's really... It's got a real, real sense of style to it and it's a... A necessary change in tone mm. and and and, pe- and we we don't need that tone to continue, but to to go from a gentle cuddly teddy bear of a man that we've just seen before, mm. and to immediately go to you need to hate this guy he's the villain. I think this is really good. Like he murders like eight or nine people who are just trying to help him, yeah. <laughs> and and off he and off he goes. Uh, yeah, and it's it's quite a. I mean, thing. it was it was good to see uh, the, the the bit where the uh, doctor sort of reaches up for the chainsaw and then holds it aloft triumphantly, uh, <laughs> and that was just that yeah. was the ice that was the cherry on top, wasn't it? That was just he, he had to do that. He had to do a really yeah. obvious Evil Dead reference, but it it worked. It's I, I don't know emotionally. The, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel during this scene. I feel so conflicted because everything's happening at once. Am I am I laughing? Am I amazed? Am I shocked? Am I what am I? I, I I felt everything at once while watching this bit. It was just too much. Yeah, I think I think um, it it it. You'd almost say it doesn't. It serves two masters, and maybe doing that is never is never right. Mm. It needs to be kind of like here comes the monster, the bad guy. But at the same time, you need to temper some of that with a bit of comedy because you don't want to like. It's not a horror movie. You don't want to like really scare kids in the audience. So. I think there's 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 some nice. I don't know. I think it, it does both them quite it, well. It, it reached a certain biting point, if you will. I I, th- I think it, it's got it, it got it just right, just right. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of like Evil Dead, Sam Raimi uh, cameos <laughs> is the Oldsmobile in 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 this one. I can't. I know it's definitely in the first one. I don't know if it's in Spider Man Two. It must be. I, I was about to say that that that's a very cruel way of describing Bruce Campbell. Hey, Oldsmobile. Boo. Boo. I I didn't spot the Oldsmobile. Of course, I spotted Bruce Campbell, but we'll go on about that later. Uh, yeah. Let's get back to the subject at hand. Though, is this how Otto Octavius becomes Doctor Octopus? Did 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 uh, did did he actually have an inhibitor chip? And. Uh, what? Hmm. Well, it, 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 it's very, very similar. Waking up in the hospital and going mad, very similar. In in the nineteen sixties, um, which is you know when when he first came about, he's in like the third Spider Man issue. Mm. Um, he's described as an atomic scientist, uh, and he invents mechanical arms to handle radioactive material. And the arms are described as remote controlled. Mm. He uses a, a, a joyce, a, essentially a joystick or a control thing that he holds in his real hands to operate them. Okay, and it is you know it, it's to handle radioactive material. And yes, they are they're they're resistant to heat and magnetism and stuff like that. They're not. There's no artificial intelligence because it's the 1960s. Yeah. So there's no like inhibitor chip. There's no inhibitor chip because they're not plugged into his brain. It's not. They don't work like that. They are controlled by a control device. Yeah. Um, he's already called Doctor Octopus before anything happens. <laughs> so it's an insult by his colleagues who bully him. Why would they call him Doctor? Because Doctor he's Octopus? got these metal arms. Oh right. They so they call him Doctor Octopus. 
as oh. a joke. It's a complete insult, and he hates the name. Um, and his the atomic experiment goes wrong. Mm. He wakes up in the hospital like this. The arms are fused to him. Uh, but the 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 when the experiment goes wrong, he's exposed to dangerous levels of radiation. Yeah, and that alters his brain. And this altering of the brain, it does a couple of things actually. It destroys his eyes, so he, he can't. Um, he needs sunglasses all the time. You know, goggles because yeah. he can't see in normal light. Oh wow! And uh, it, it alters his brain, so it allows him to be able to control the arms mm. mentally. So he doesn't need to be plugged into them. He can just do it. Um, but altering the brain also turns him really from a, a rational, pompous scientist to a full-on deranged madman. Yeah. So it is quite similar. And he does go on a big rampage in the hospital. So, yeah. Oof. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 was, it, was, it, was it as brutal as rampage in the hospital? Was it more... Wumpf out my way. <laughs> I can imagine it's like I I think we'll discuss that very shortly. Okay then. Okay, so the tentacles take over. Uncontrolled, the tentacles begin to corrupt Octavius's mind, playing on his vanity and ego, and he decides he must complete his experiment at any cost. J. John Jameson names him Doctor Octopus or Duck Ock. In an uh, sorry, in an effort to finance the experiments, Doc Ock attempts to rob a bank where Peter Parker and his Aunt May happen to be present. After a short glitch in his powers, Spider-Man manages to recover and soon take the two take their fight outside the bank. But Doc Ock takes Aunt May as a hostage. When Spider-Man rescues her, she revises her former opinion of him and realizes that he is a hero. Octavius escapes unharmed with the money he stole. So I don't want to be throwing out cameos everywhere, but uh, the bank no, clerk. Do, do. I, I have to. I have to with this one. Jeff Winger from Community plays a bank clerk. The bank clerk with is Jeff Winger from Community. I I when I rewatched this about hmm two or three years ago, it's the first time I and I've seen this from lots. It's yeah. the first time I went. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I just I just like I like these little cameos anyway. Also, I did like the fight scene. It, it, it there was a real there's a real physical feeling of oomph of oomph when people go flying out into things and into cars and into buses into walls. Yeah. There is that, but at the same time, the CGI does look a bit dated in places. But also because of this, it does give it a weird a really weird unreal effect that kind of fits if that makes sense i mean this is a comic book film this is a superhero film mm. the cgi not being totally realistic looking makes it feel like a comic book it has it has that appeal. yeah yeah, yeah. i, I, I kind of I, 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 my, my brain went oh well that's cgi look you could obviously tell that cgi and then i went oh but it doesn't look bad it's just but it's it's not out of place because it's so fantastical if that makes sense yeah yeah, I, I, I'm never thro- I am never thrown or put off by 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 bad CGI. It does it does absolutely it does not bother me in the slightest. I I, I they just I get what it, it it's like going to see a play. Mm. They haven't got enough money to have in Richard the Third a whole army on stage. 
So I get that some of the things are meant to represent other things. It's fine. I'm a Doctor Who fan, man. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Sylvester McCoy Doctor Who fan. I'm going back, yeah. fan. Yeah. And I, I know that, yeah, that looks dreadful, but I just have to go with what it's meant to stand in for. You go with so the story. Bother me. But it, yeah. I, it does... Some people it really like. They go, oh, I can't watch. I can't watch that film. What's that Wolverine? I mean, it's a bad film, but that secret Wolverine Origins. I don't know what it's called. X Men Origins Wolverine, which has got truly terrible CGI in. People are like, I, I had to turn it off. The CGI was so bad. I don't understand no, that. But no, no, no. I, each I, to their own. Rarely been like that with films. I, I can go. Th- I can go through with bad special effects without without a bother. So in the com- in the comic books, did their first meeting take place in a bank? Spider-Man versus Doc Ock was that their first fight? Because that felt really no. that felt a really good place to have a fight. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It looks inc- that fight. Um, I did not feel this in I think any in in the first Spider-Man film at all. I didn't feel this in Blade or in X-Men one or two, mm. but in Spider-Man two, the two scenes where Spider-Man is fighting Doc Ock I for the first time ever went this is a comic book brought to life yeah yeah this, that is this is exactly what this is it I thought this the is same. what I've been waiting for this this is and this yeah. is and and and, and I, I didn't I didn't get that there are bits of Iron Man there's a bit in Iron Man 1 where I got it again hmm. um where he's fighting kind of the army in one of the de- one of the Afghan villages or something, and then massively in Iron Man Two, when Iron Man and War Machine are back to back fighting robots, I went, "Yeah, this is just a comic book brought. This is br- not just this, just but this is this is this is what it. it I, this is I feel like this is what I always wanted to, when they wanted the page on the screen. It was brilliant. The fights with Doc Ock are are, are brill, and it's a great scene. But no, um. Spidey's first meeting with Doc Ock um, in 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 that, that issue thing we talk about. It, it after Doc Ock wakes up in the hospital, he goes on a rampage, and he takes over the hostages and takes takes the hospital staff as, as hostages. Um, and Spidey tries to save the hostages. He fights him there in the hospital, but he is completely overpowered by Doc's arms. Completely, mm. he just. And bear in mind, this is issue three. He is, Oof. he's like fifteen. He's fifteen. He's just started, or he's fourteen, fourteen, fifteen. He's just started doing this, um, <laughs> and he has not really fought. You know, so every new thing is 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 every new enemy is a drastic step up for him, and he just cannot fight off six arms grabbing him and hitting him. There are numerous. There, I mean, it happens in that first issue, and it happens again later on with Doc, where. All Doc has to do is grab both arms, both legs, <laughs> and he can pummel, pummel him with metal arms. He can just beat and beat and beat him. It's and it and it happens again. And he and he can wrap Spidey's. He can wrap the arms around him. He, it's just it's a. It seems like extra arms might not be a benefit, but when you think about those arms as powerful, you know, um, coils. Yeah. What do I want to say? Hydra, hydra, uh, hy- hydraulic, hydra. hydraulic. You thinking of the word hydraulic? Hydraulic, hydraulic coils, coils. Yep, yep. yeah. And he can wrap around you and squeeze. Ah, oh, man, yeah. So he just get, Octavius beats Spidey quite badly, and this kid is completely shaken and completely dispirited, and he he doesn't. He's not going to go back. He's like, I'm. I, the 
I'll let the police handle this. He beat me up and won. Um, so their first meeting, Doc Ock beats the crap out of him in a hospital and then does whatever he wants and leaves. God. So anyway, meanwhile, at a party, during a party, during a party, Peter learns that Mary Jane is planning to marry J. Jonah Jameson's son, John Jameson. God, that was a lot of J's. Sorry. Uh, an astronaut. <laughs> I know. It's, it's hard reading this when there's so many J's. Uh, J, John Jameson, an astronaut. Uh, he also gets into a physical altercation with Harry, who is drunk because Octavius's failed experiment left Oscorp bankrupt. Harry is angry at Peter over his loyalty to Spider-Man. So, is this the only time um, we see him in, in, in any of the movies, uh, John Jameson? Is he an important character, or is he literally just a placeholder, uh, like, third romantic interest or whatever for Mary Jane? Um, well, of course, Mary Jane has no connection to John Jameson. Remember, always remember that who we see on the screen as Mary Jane is not Mary Jane. Mm. It's kind of a bit more Gwen Stacy okay. yeah. in these Raimi films. Um, I don't even think Gwen Stacy has any connections to John Jameson. Um, no. So... John Jameson, he's not a placeholder. He does, he gets to do some weird mm. stuff, but he, he's his importance is because of what it sets off with his father. Ah, so, okay. Um, the very first issue of Amazing Spider-Man, astronaut John Jameson is on a mission to orbit the Earth, and remember, it's 1963. There's not been a lot of space stuff. I was about to say that's uh, an incredibly basic so that's why it's thing. Exciting to, in the comic book. That, that's an incredibly basic thing to do in space travel. By the way, orbiting the Earth is incredibly easy. I won't get too technical. Nineteen sixty-three. Oh, yeah, that, that's why you you had the, the, suff- the, the suffix nineteen sixty-three. Right? I was like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, that's pretty major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, but the mission goes awry. The shuttle, something breaks. The shuttle's out of control, and yeah. NASA have no way of helping him. So Spidey, who has really he has not begun his career as a hero yet. He's mm. still a TV entertainer. Yeah, that's how Spider-Man begins. And he's even even after Uncle Ben dies. In fact, more so after Uncle Ben dies, he has to carry on that because the Parker household is under crippling debt. Mm. Uh, Uncle Ben's gone, so there's no extra wage coming in. The, the funeral was a lot of money, all of that. Um, so he does that. He's getting Spidey's getting trashed by the tabloids for being this this like idiot on television. Yeah, and and he really thinks that this is going to be a way to help. Right, so. He gets. He convinces NASA to let him give it a go, and they're like, "Well, if you're gonna die, it doesn't bother us." So he convinces a pilot to fly him up to where the shuttle's re-entry point is. Ah, uh, yes. And then manages to jump out of the plane, uses webs to pull himself onto the shuttle, gets aboard, fixes the thing, saves everyone, and it lands. It's proper Mission Impossible <laughs> Hollywood James Bond action. Yeah. And Spidey thinks like now he will finally get the tabloids <laughs> off his back because he's not just a TV entertainer. <laughs> I like how you're laughing already. I like Because right, you want you know what's about to happen and yeah. it feels good, doesn't it? You phrased because it. Because we all know what J- Jonah's like. You phrased it in the way that just... I know it's going to be, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he, so he, he, he gets back to worth expecting the pat on the back, right? And, of course, John's father, Jonah... Editor of the Daily Bugle sees Spider-Man's involvement as a PR stunt, and he's trying to you're trying to steal the spotlight away from a true American hero, my son, the astronaut. <laughs> and so he writes the first 
scathing editorial, <laughs> the Daily the Daily Bugle about Spider Man, Spider Man the Glory Hound, <laughs> Spider Man the you know all of that, and thus begins his vendetta against the webhead. And it's all because of John. So that was that. that no, um, nothing happened before that with J. Jonah Jameson. It was all because. Uh, uh, nope. Yep. Wow. How bitter do yep. you have to be? Yeah. Well, it's not nothing. I mean, uh, J- Jonah. Subsequently, when they've written about him, have shown him to have always been distrustful of people in masks, except for Captain America. Yeah. Right. He doesn't think it's a good idea. He hates it. He'd fit in in twenty twenty, brother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he'd. I imagine, imagine what his editorials and info war style <laughs> videos would be like I, in this climate. I, I'm but looking forward he, to the um, next Spider-Man film where he. Did, did remember, remember at the end of the last Spider-Man film. Uh, 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 uh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so yeah. So it feels like this is a tipping point, but it's just uh, it's Jonah's vanity and it's his vanity about his own son and all of that. And John Jameson gets to do some kind of. He's not just completely forgotten about. He does. He gets to do some stuff. Kind of almost everyone in Spider-Man's world eventually gets powers at some point. Um, even without stuff like Spider Island, it, it generally tends to happen. Mm. Um, on a mission to the moon, John Jameson finds a gemstone and somehow he's allowed to take it back to Earth. I don't know how or why. And the gemstone that he feels a compulsion to wear around his neck and then it turns out it gets kind of fused to his neck turns him into a werewolf on a full moon uh, and he becomes the man wolf stalking the streets of New York during full moons it's a very it's got like twinges of horror this is when like we've got Morbius living vampire Mm. we've got the lizard now we've got a werewolf like Spidey's getting this kind of like monster themes with his with his villains going on he stalks his own father before Spider-Man stops him, and and you know Man Wolf kind of comes up quite a few times with with John. He's kind of like a very white werewolf. He's very he's a very handsome werewolf, I must say. <laughs> um, and then John gets transported to the mystical dimension where the gemstone originated from, Other Realm. It's called. Mm. That's the most imaginative name. I could possibly. What are we going to call this other realm? Well, well, hold on a minute there. I've got a brilliant idea. What if we call this other realm, other realm? Um, and he, when he's there, he 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 gets transformed into the powerful protector of other realm, uh, a being called Star God, and he's got this amazing mystic sword. And he has his own comic book series briefly, and, it, and it's a real sword and fantasy comic set in a mystical other world. Yeah. And then he eventually gets to bang She-Hulk. So, hey, you know, life, life, life becomes. Really uh, good. That, that's 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 just marvelous. So, anyway, back to the film. So, at the part shortly after this party for uh, John Jameson, uh, Peter loses powers while web-slinging across town, taking a hard fall. Meanwhile, Octavius has used the stolen money to rebuild his experimental and dangerous fusion reactor in his abandoned safe house by the docks. Peter questions if he could ever have what he needs, a life as Peter Parker which involves a vision of Uncle Ben and resolves to give up being Spider-Man. Peter throws his Spider-Man suit in the rubbish bin and walks away. Someone brings the abandoned suit to J. Gemma Jameson, who is delighted and sees it as a personal victory. He's defeated Spider-Man and made him quit. 
Pete goes through life without Spider-Man, doing average everyday things without feeling the burden of responsibility to save people. In one crucial moment, police cars go tearing down the street towards danger, but Pete does not chase after them to help. He merely continues to enjoy his day. I, I mean, this scene is quite sad. It's quite. It, 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 there's mm, an element of defeatism yeah. to it. It's like it's emotional. It's emotional, but at the same time, they they did the whole montage, and it, it, I don't want to say it's cliche. It's cliched in a good way. They 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 played raindrops keep falling on my head, and I kind of laughed at the beginning of it because it's kind of it's the post perfect piece of music to play during such a carefree montage and it's cliched but it works for me well i don't think it's i don't think it's cliched because it's it's intent it's self it's very self-aware yeah you know it's not it's not accidentally none of that stuff you know they didn't accidentally make something that's very cliched and cheesy they did all of that on purpose he you know the the tyre bouncing out of the window and hitting someone. It's a comedy <laughs> thing. Yeah, playing, yeah. playing raindrops, keep, you know, playing raindrops. It's a comedy thing. Yeah. The bit at the end where it does the freeze frame of his face is kind of... Nothing's worrying me. Yeah. What film was that originally from? Was that from Butch Casting the Sundance Kid? Isn't Butch, Butch Casting the Sundance Kid. I, st- I still yeah. haven't seen that yet. I'm going to have to give that a watch. It's... But yeah, it's very good. It's, I recommend it's, it. Yeah, I, 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 I like, I like this. But at the same time, I don't want to say it's cliche. I know we just said that, but it's, but at the same time, I, I've seen this used in so many similar bits in in comedy films. So for me, it's like it's like a ticking really? of the box. Like uh, I remember seeing it in Naked Gun hmm. during, during one bit, and they did it on The Simpsons, I think, once. I don't know. That's probably just me, but I, I, I liked it. It's sad, but I laughed. Also, uh, Peter Parker stopped being Spider-Man and suddenly gets better at all other things in life. That's how I feel when I'm not doing comedy at the moment. That's it. <laughs> exactly how it feels to be a comedian when you stop doing comedy for a bit. And then it's like, ah, I'm actually not stressed and I'm getting on better at life and I'm doing things and I feel more relaxed. And that, I, I, I empathise with that so much because I've stopped doing things in life at various points and you immediately feel this burden off your shoulders and you feel great for it. Oh, yeah. It's just... It, it, my My... My montage would be just be me like I, I've done laundry every week. <laughs> I've I've managed to get my hair cut every time it's needed it. Holy crap! <laughs> I, I'm really firing on all cylinders here. I've eaten all of the salad in the fridge before the next shopping day. My life is perfect. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's it's good. That's spot on. That's how I'd be. I, I taking taking pride in little achievements like that. So, absolutely, is this how Pete gives up being Spider-Man in the books, uh, losing his powers and talking to Uncle Ben's spirit? No, um, I thought not. In the comic books, in, in Spider-Man, no more. Pete quit. He just he does not lose his powers at all. There's no there's no powers being taken away. Pete quits being Spider-Man. Intentionally, consciously, he can still be Spider-Man. He still has the power. He just turns his back on the responsibility. And he does it because he thinks he's outgrown it. Hmm. Um, he says in... <clears throat> there's the pretty classic scene that they replicate here. Where Pete is... He leaves the spider costume um, in, in the bin. In in the, in the trash can, mm. uh, sorry, in, in trash, it, and, and 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 walks away from it, and you have the 
uh, you have it in the foreground, the, 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 the rubbish bin, the trash can with the costume in, and Pete walking off into the background, turning his, literally turning his back on it. Mm. And I'm just sending you the page from the comic book because they literally recreate that exact scene yes. in, the, on, in the movie. And it's, that is a powerfully iconic image that's been, um, it, it's been homaged slash copied sometimes jokingly and sometimes seriously in dozens and dozens of comic books and geek cartoons and things after the fact. It's a very striking, powerful image. He, he, he does it intentionally. Look at those, and that's Ramita. You know, look how, first of all, look how thick, <laughs> how regular... Uh, Peter Parker looks there compared to Ditko's drawings, but look at those dark grey clouds literally following him out of this rainy alleyway as he as he walks away from being Spider-Man. Um, and and the reasoning is, is in Stanley's words, as it says there, I was just a young, unthinking teenager when I first became Spider-Man, but years have a way of slipping by, of changing the world around us, and every boy, sooner or later, must put away his toys and become a man, um, you know, putting away childish things, as the Corinthians uh, would write. Pete thinks, what's the use of being this brightly coloured, garish figure in a world full of real wars overseas and, and a war on drugs that's going on underneath us and a political climate that is that is fractious and riots and bombings in, in, in college campuses. You know, it's been said that Stan wrote this story to reflect what was going on with the readers who had grown up with the comic book. Mm. They started reading Spider-Man as children yeah. and now they were being drafted into the war or they were going off to college campuses that were in some parts, battlegrounds between political opinions, and 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 there were civil war, uh, civil rights riots going on. You know, all of that. It's a very, and yet it's very adult things that transpire. So one thing that we haven't mentioned about this story, it's it's naive of Peter to think he can remove himself with no consequences, and by being absent, we get in this storyline. The first appearance of a very important character, we get the rise of the Kingpin. Oh, hello. For the very first time in issue 50, Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man No More. Um, and the reason the Kingpin flourishes and rises is because suddenly there is a change in, in the struggle, a change in the power vacuum. There's no Spider-Man taking out criminals and villains left right and center and the criminal underworld senses that and so we get a very adult a very real world villain compared to electro and <laughs> rhino and <laughs> you know ha, you know we get the kingpin the thing that marks him out is that literally in this in in this issue he tells you the criminals i'm gonna run this like a business and i'll be the ceo and you all work for me you know he's He's organised crime, you know. And due to Spider-Man's absence, in this one issue, or in the next three or four, really, Kingpin gains a stranglehold on New York that would not shift for decades. Because, um, what's the thing? All it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And that's what Pete does here. He does nothing. And to him, to begin with, that feels like, I'm not doing anything. But what it means is he's not doing anything. Yep. His idleness allows the most simple form of corruption and evil to take root, and and that's part. That's another part of this lesson. 
that that you're you, you you can't you can't escape the responsibility. There, everything you do in action as well as action has consequences, and it's quite telling that it that what 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 happens in his absence in, when he's thinking, what should I do in a real all these real world things going on? A bright, colourful superhero has no place, and then what rises up in his absence? It's not a bright, colourful supervillain. It's a dude going, I'm going to run an organised crime family, and I'm going to tear the heart out yeah. of the city. And no one's going to stop me. Ooh. What was so? What, yeah. What was his What was his real name? Was it Walton Fisk? King Wilson. Pen. Wilson Fisk. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mainly remember it because of the the Daredevil TV show, which is a very good um, portrayal of him. I thought loved it. The Daredevil TV show, to my mind, mm. is the the best adaptation of any comic book I've ever seen. This. It, this is this Spider-Man Two is this, is probably the second best, I think, for getting the heart of a character right. But Daredevil, Daredevil, that series is incredible for it. Oh, yeah, oh they really understand super- Matt Murdock and oh, it was absolutely superb. Yeah, it's incredible. Maybe we'll cover it at some point. Yeah, hope so. But in the meantime, things get sad for Peter. Free from the burden of Spider-Man, Peter attempts to reconnect with Mary Jane by telling her that he can now be committed to her. But NJ informs him that it is too late. Back home after visiting Uncle Ben's grave, Peter reveals to Aunt May the truth about what happened to the night Uncle Ben died, that Pete had a chance to stop his uncle's killer, but did nothing. Aunt May is hurt and distressed over the revelation. After a time, Aunt May and Peter reconcile, and she tells Peter that of the hope that Spider-Man brings to the other people, the inspiration he is to everyone. And that he fu- and that he fights the good fight in spite of what he- dreams he may have sacrificed. Aunt May's words remind Peter why he needs to be Spider-Man. So, I, 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 uh, is this how it happens in the comic books? Is this how he he, he decides to become Spider-Man again, or is it something more dramatic? Um, it's it's not, but it's not something more dramatic. What stood out to me about that rewatching it, um. Having done the research about the corporal who passed away, mm. is that it seems to me that Aunt May's words kind of are evocative of what was said by those those soldiers in Vietnam when they wrote in and they talked about how I know it's not real, but how Spider Man is an inspiration to people that they yeah. can that they can they can draw hope from a character perhaps and they can draw s- some sort of brightness from that and I thought that was quite quite nice and quite fitting. Based on on what we read in those in those readers' letters, um, in the comic books, uh, no, Aunt May doesn't play a part in it. Pete's kind of he's burying his head in his hand. He's tooting around on his cool new motorcycle, which he loves, and he's largely unmoved by it, by the crime wave that sees the city uh, as the kingpin like wages warfare territory. Mm. Um, but one night, Pete is like riding home, and the streets are empty, and he hears an old an old man night watchman calling out for help on an empty street and for some reason he goes to help him and they fight off some burglars and this old guy looks a bit like Uncle yeah. Ben and that reminds him of his responsibility so it's not an overly dramatic thing that returns him to the role but but it, it is an emotional moment because it very much comes across when he makes his decision that this time it's a choice he's made and a choice is made as an adult. 
Like you could under, you could perhaps say he was forced into the role or fell backwards into it when he was a teenager after Uncle Ben died. But this this kind of second second taking up of the of the mantle of the identity, this is him making a choice as a grown up. Mm. He he's choosing it now. He's he's acknowledging he can't walk away from that responsibility. And then he goes and steals the <laughs> he goes and steals the costume from J. Jenna Jameson's office and then waits around for JJ to turn up and then webs him up. So that 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 was that was fairly on point in the film as well. They did that. That, yeah. that was in the comp- oh, brilliant. <laughs> I kind I kind of yeah. like that aspect of it. So in the meantime, yeah. Doc Ock has completed rebuilding his reactor and needs one final item. The what was it? The tr- tr- tritium tritium tr- tritium precious tritium precious tritium. Just put just just take a word and put em at the end. It's now a f- precious <laughs> resource like unobtainium. Don't, no, I won't go down that path. Mm. It angers me, that did. Uh, which fuels the, the fusion reactor. Doc Ock tries to extort Harry Osborne for the precious element, dangling him over the edge of the Osborne Mansion balcony. Harry agrees to give Octavius what he needs in exchange for Doc Ock capturing Spider-Man. That, so, as I said before, this uh, building at the docks way more suited for a science experiment. And, and by that, <laughs> I mean less people will die. <laughs> still, people will still die. He could contaminate the water uh, of of a major metropolitan area, but hey, at least he's not doing it in a bloody block of flats in the middle of the city. I mean, I I I, I don't think I don't think the Hudson can get any more contaminated. I don't think people are drinking uh, from that river. But yeah, true, true, true. Uh, very bad. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm getting into my mind of playing an old game like SimCity of planning stuff and going. Why would you do that there? Why not do it further down the river where you don't pollute it? Sorry, I'm getting technical again in a in a very boring way. So uh, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna fit you with one of those shock collars you give to dogs, <laughs> and every time. You start to plan architecture in the middle of an episode. I'm going to give you a little zap. Uh, yeah, that was that would that would be very good. But it, maybe it'd work too well, and then I I just keep going, but at a faster pace. Uh, so has Harry? Well, maybe you'd like it, and we'd have a very pervy podcast. Oh god, that would do that. that... Becomes the Marvel Bondage podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go even more Hello, niche with a podcast. I'm Big Daddy, and welcome to Big Daddy's Marvel Bondage podcast. And let me bring out the gimp. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know why you have to do a southern accent, but it fits. So, has, you know why? Oh, it's, it's good. Has Has Harry Osborne ever gone after Spider Man like this? Uh, yes. Um, after Norm, after his dad's death, mm. Harry takes up his father's vendetta against Spider Man. Um. So. <sighs> He, he's got Harry has a very fragile mental state. The result of a quite a lot of well, comic. What is quite a lot of drug abuse in a comic book, but I think it's probably quite domestic <laughs> between all of us. You know, um, he he uh, and the trauma. So in one night, Harry loses a, his dear friend, who's known for a long time, Gwen Stacy, mm. and his dad. Both die horribly violent deaths at the same time on the same night. And since Spider-Man is there for both deaths and is associated with them, Harry naturally blames Spider-Man for, for these deaths. And that, combined with his fragile mental state, he, he just, yeah, he takes up his father's vendetta against Spider-Man. Um, 
he he kind of ping pongs because he does he does keep getting amnesia, which is something that happens to Norman quite a bit as well. It's a very it's a I don't I've, it's 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 a unfortunate crutch of some storytelling at this time. I remember you telling me where this. it just helps you yeah. reset a character a little bit. But he becomes the second Green Goblin. Um, but I think that that is better suited for if and when someone forces us mm-hmm. to cover Spider-Man Three. It will be it, that will happen so, at some point. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember you telling me about the uh, very precarious amnesia narrative arc. That was very yeah. yeah. And you, but what was what was good about the Norman Osborn one is that it was written into the story that Spider-Man was never certain if it was being faked or not if he could trust it mm. or if maybe he he did have amnesia but then he regained his memories and now he's pretending he, it was it was tense um harry's is not tense like that but yeah yeah that makes sense so wait a minute just 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 getting my notes together so even sadder still for peter uh, mary jane meets peter in a coffee shop to ask if he still loves her but Peter tells her that he does not. Doc Ock, having been advised by Harry that Peter was the key to finding Spider-Man, destroys the coffee shop. Peter regains his spider sense at the right moment to grab Mary Jane and dive out the way of a taxi cab that Ock has thrown through the window. Peter is buried underneath the rubble and Doc Ock abducts Mary Jane in a plot to lure Spider-Man into a trap. I, I I felt for a second he's it's almost like he's played with her emotions a bit here because it's like there's so much chasing and then suddenly he's like no yeah it felt a bit I I was yeah it was yeah what are you gonna say it's because when he when he thought he could not be Spider Man he was all for it um mm. and then he 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 doesn't he doesn't have that luxury anymore does he yeah well, this happened to a friend of mine uh his girlfriend dumped him. Oh dear, and he was heartbroken. Hmm. Uh, but he, he, you know, he, he, he moved on, and he met somebody new, and they started going out. And after a little while, his ex, who would still see him socially, hmm. did not like this, and called him up really emotionally, and was in tears, and was like, "I've made a big, big mistake. I'm so sorry. I should never have got rid of you. I was just really unhappy, and I thought that was something to do with you, but I don't think it is. I think it's something else. I, and, and I want to get back together, please, please, please." And he is still obviously, you know, he's heartbroken no. by it. He loves her still, so he ends it with a new girlfriend, no. goes back to the original girl, and within two weeks, will mm. within two weeks. The 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 X slash new goes. Oh, actually, it turns out it was you. It was you that that was what we. That's wrong. horrible. See, that's yeah. horrible. Dumps him again. Brutal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you Peter Parker is an an F boy. I think uh, in this an movie. F boy. <laughs> yeah, he leaves her leaves her on. Gets her, gets her to put herself out there, get, and she kind of ends it with John. And oh no, she doesn't end it with John, but you know, she's about to. And then he's like, "Oh, I'm just not really ready for commitment. It's not really." Oh no, that's so bad. That is so bad. So back to the film. Yeah. Back to the film. Let's not get too too down an emotional pothole. Um, second movie in a row that Mary Jane has been kidnapped by a Spidey villain. Does that? I mean, come on, that must happen in the comic books. 
Not really. She, uh, she's not. MJ is not a damsel in distress. Not like kind of we think of Gwen Stacy had been. Mm. Um, she's had some scary run-ins with Craven the Hunter, and she's stalked and assaulted by Venom in one of his earliest oh. appearances, and that scars her for a long time. But MJ, MJ had her own stories and antagonists that were not connected to Spider-Man or Peter Parker oh. at all. She's such like an like a, a um, she's such a almost like an equal not an equal part, but she's such a big part of the comic that. That yeah, MJ has her own stories that go on and take over the main, the main <laughs> like thrust of the thing. Sometimes her her sister was framed um, for a crime she didn't commit and sent to prison. And MJ then get and Peter start to work out who the real criminal is, which turns out to be MJ's father, who had been abusive to both of them when they were children. Mm. Um, because of her profile as a model and actress, which happens to her, especially in the in the nineties, she becomes a very successful supermodel and actress. Um, she gets kidnapped by an obsessed multi-millionaire who wants her to live in his like fabulous mansion and never leave, and she's essentially a hostage and all of that. It go- and then he, and then she gets out, and and he starts to psychologically destroy. She starts to destroy her life. He has them evicted. Like every every time they move, he buys the apartment complex and has oh, them evicted. God. Um. He buys. He he has a blackballed from like the modeling industry and buys companies to make sure she can't get work and stuff she develops a, a, and gains a dangerous obsessed she ends up working on a uh, on a soap opera called secret hospital i've no idea what it could possibly be about <laughs> what could a secret hospital possibly be i'm really i was always intrigued even as a kid i went Secret Hospital? I'm not saying it sounds better than the Spider-Man comic I'm reading, but I am intrigued. I would watch about ten episodes of Secret Hospital. I want to know, what is this hospital and why is it so secret? Secret Hospital sounds like a hospital that only people who work for the Mafia use. Oh. There is actually a... um, There is a... Camp, we see her in the in, we see nightmare. Oh, we sort of see. There's a um, Daredevil introduced a basically a nurse who only helped the superhero community. Yeah, and her location was a secret, but you go to her and get a bit of help. That's who kind of that kind of character sort of arrives a little bit in the Daredevil series. Um, but yeah, Secret Hospital. I want to know about Secret Hospital, man. So yeah, she gets a, a stalker and stuff. So yeah, she's not really the damsel in distress getting kidnapped type. But it's you know it's a it's a, a useful trope here. Oh, totally. So, Spider Man is back. Peter's powers. Peter's powers. Peter powers. Peter's powers fully returned. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I was like, isn't that a net? Isn't that someone famous? Peter Powers? No. Peter Powers. Peter. Sounds like it would be one of Stanley's creations, though. Peter Powers. Or even you could go with Max Power. He's the man. The man that you mustn't touch. Have we got one off the bingo card? Simpsons Yes, reference? there we go. There we go. One off the bingo card for there you. There we go. There, there we, we go. go. Ding, ding. Anyway. Hey-o. Hey-o. So, Peter's, Peter's powers fully return, and he dons his costume and engages Doc Ock in a battle, which starts off at the top of a bell tower and then on top of a train. During the battle, Octavius manages to destroy the brakes to the train, forcing Spider-Man to rescue the runaway train. Spider-Man manages to stop the train before it can plunge over the end of the track, but at great 
physical exertion. He nearly falls, but the people in the train catch him and see him without his mask on. They agree to keep his identity a secret and try to protect from Doc Ock, but his mechanical arms are too much for them. So, I think we're going to need to have a bit of a uh, discussion about this scene because one of the things that happened... Big when, scene, man. Big scene! Because... Uh, mm. I, I vaguely remember it in the, uh, when I watched it years and years ago. I remember this being a scene because it's it's it because it, 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 having a superhero without their mask off is always going to be a very dramatic uh, reveal plot point. Uh, and this was oh my god, his mask is off it, and they're going to find out who he is. Uh, when we asked people uh, their experience about this film, we had quite a few people talking about that train scene, and there's been a lot. Mm. Um, in fact, we had one person. Uh, right in to say uh, Mark O'Neill who said the train scene in Spider-Man 2 is over talked about for the right reasons it is an absolute masterclass of the character that New York plays in the same Spider-Man franchise as well as just being so goddamn emotional every time I see it this is probably the best superhero movie for people who like to get emotional about superheroes so yeah I think um, I, I I certainly think that the 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 reason this film connects so much with so many people and the reason that people to this day the lists that come out talk about it being the best mm. it's because I think it's because this the, the, I can't think of a single MCU movie that has this level and and I'm I'm not trying to I I I've loved I can't think of a single bad one maybe one of the Thors <laughs> but they don't have very very few of them have this level of emotion, yeah. there's we we love you know there's a, there's a bit of emotion you know there's, there's emotion in all of them mm. but to this extent to this kind of to this level of it I think it's uh, it's really doing something else it really is making um, Sam Raimi worked really hard I think to make a bigger film and then make it uh, a summer blockbuster yeah he really did he, they, and I think that's yeah. that's yeah um, I I think. That this pushes that losing the mask drew a lot of criticism from people, okay. and I can understand that. But I don't think I don't think it was done. The mask comes off here, and, and I I really think it's the right reason it comes off. It shows the pain and the exhaustion on it on his face, and it's not. It wasn't made in like oh we got an amazingly gorgeous actor we need to see his face yeah because. First of all, this is ugly. Yeah, no one watching the rushes could have said, "Oh yeah, there's our matinee idol, Toby Maguire." However, they do it in this looks like he is about to be ripped apart. Yeah. Like the the that face he makes is deeply, you know, it's become a meme and it's a hilarious gift. But in the context of the scene, it's not a so it was not a cosmetic decision to to do. We've had a lot of the character outside of costume already. So I don't think it was done like in a in a um calculated kind of like disingenuous Hollywood way. I think it was to show what this what this character is going through. That this is this is the lim- I mean he's a kid from Queens and he's just trying to do his best and this he's not Superman, he's not Iron Man, he's not Thor. This pushes him to his absolute limit. And the world isn't going to end. It's a small human tragedy. And and I think it, it, it can't have been done with the mask on. And I just yeah. think it's a, it's a really powerful thing. This scene went viral in 2018. 
there was a, a whole series of tweets from Twitter accounts sharing it and, and commenting on it. Um, and how they were talking about how the modern Marvel and DC movies are very big, very explosive, very slick, but none of them match this simple emotion of of this scene. Yeah. This group of average New Yorkers saving Spider Man, and they highlighted the bit where one of the like workers on the train realizes he's he's just a kid, and then the little kids saying we won't tell anyone when they see his real face. Yeah. It's powerful, man. It's and I think it's it's fitting. It's yeah. incredibly fitting. I mean, what I I, I thought of it as um, is they they took the scene from the previous film when uh, the New Yorkers on the bridge were throwing stuff at the Green Goblin, saying "You mess with you, you, you if if you want to mess with Spider Man, you got to mess with the rest of us." And that was very yay, hurrah, hurrah for the people. Yeah, that it was a bit that was um, yeah. that was a that was very much a post nine eleven. <laughs> We all feel very no. It genuinely was. Yeah. It, it, they all felt very, very raw, and it was. I think it was added last minute or something. But it, <laughs> but it was very. It was very. Um, yeah, and 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 I felt that that was done for different reasons. Right. I don't think that benefited the story particularly. But I didn't hate it. But yeah, yeah I, I I I I took it on face value and just went ah people working together. But and I, and I I saw this as them trying to one up and one up that bit. You know, let, okay, let's have a scene where Spider-Man is at his limit, and 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 regular people step step in to do what they can, because isn't that the yeah. greatest aspect of humanity? Cooperation. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. like it, it's it, it, it. I mean, even without the emotion, the scene itself. I mean, the amount of webs going all over the buildings to stop that train. It's insane. It looks. Yeah. It looks. Like, like like the hyperbole of Spider Man, he's, he's trying to stop a moving train with so many webs that he might as well create a wall of webs, and <laughs> his body is crushing the front of the train. It's it's yeah. horrible. It's ridiculous. It is it's a, it's a very it's a very physical scene. Mm. Yeah, it's um, I, it, it it makes sense. This is the most talked about scene in the movie, I think, because mm. it touches at a very raw emotional level. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's kind of what's missing from the MCU. Something like this, really. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a, there's a scene, isn't there, in one of the Spider-Man when Holland has to hold a tugboat or a cruise ship or something together. Yeah, yeah. and it's quite similar in terms of doing lots of the strands, but it doesn't quite reach the same. No, no, it, it'd be like if the train scene happened, and then right at the end, Tony Stark comes and he goes, "Okay, Junior, I'm taking it over from here." <laughs> and then starts pushing. Oh yeah, that's exactly what happens, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It the the the, the Iron Legion pop up and help him, and it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. It's it, it's it's hard to compare that scene with this. It's because it's a bit, you know, it's light. They're doing they're doing they're doing different things. They're telling different stories. Telling, yeah, that, I like that. Telling different stories. Anyway, story time. Back to the movie. Spider-Man is captured by Dr. Octopus and delivered to Harry Osborn. Harry unmasks Spider-Man and is shocked to discover that his sworn enemy is his best friend. Spider-Man awakens and convinces Harry to reveal Octavius' whereabouts so he can mes- rescue Mary Jane. Learning that Octavius is building his, rebuilding his machine and threatening the world. Has, has, has Harry ever learned Peter's secret identity? Uh, and is this how it happened in the comics? I mean, must be. they must have played around with that with the... Uh, the uh, with the uh, mind loss, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, one time, Pete, Peter Parker and all his friends, except for Harry Osborn for some reason, are going on a cruise and they're going to have a swinging time and Harry's not invited and he's at home. And we don't know why, but let's move on. And, <laughs> but then the Mexican, the Mexican cartel hitman Tarantula attacks the cruise and takes everyone hostage. And Tarantula is, is looks like he's got a really cool costume. He looks like a Mexican badass Spider-Man. And he's got pointy, stabby things on his feet, like a tarantula, mm. I guess. Yep, yep. And he kick-stabs you. Um, so he takes everyone hostage, and you might be wondering what this has got to do with Harry and Peter's secret. <laughs> well, uh, Pete gets knocked overboard, and then when he's overboard, he realises, oh no, I've ran out of web fluid. I physically can't get on the cruise ship. I'm in the ocean. So he then uh, swims back to Manhattan and rushes all the way, soaking wet, into his apartment to grab some more web fluid and then races back to the cruise ship. But he's in such a rush, he didn't notice that his roommate, Harry Osborne, was in the apartment the whole time. And just watched Peter Parker run in, go into like a closet, get some Spider-Man equipment, and then run out the front door again. (laughs) So Harry goes, that's a bit odd. And then he starts digging around the apartment in Pete's room and finds spare Spider-Man costumes and masks. And immediately... I mean immediately sets about trying to kill his best friend. Wow. He rigs the apartment with um, Green Goblin pumpkin bombs and then goes out. And he's like, whoever opens that door next, gonna die. (laughs) (laughs) And the person who who opens the door next is Mary Jane. No. (laughs) Because, like, Pete, like, lets her in first. And um, Pete has to grab her and, like, spin around and shield her with his own body and they get blown up. And, yeah, so it's not quite as dramatic as hiring someone to unmask him it's a bit more that Pete's an idiot sometimes <laughs> that's quite, that is quite funny I, 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 I feel the same when I go to the shops without my mask at the moment I know that same feeling yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. I think also part, part of the part of the whole I want to kill you now is because no one invited Harry on the cruise that's always the bit of the story that sticks in my like it's literally all of Harry's best friends are going on a cruise together. Harry's not in, he's, he's back at home at the apartment just waiting around. Right. I, if that happened to me, I'd, I'd I'd probably set some bombs as well. <laughs> I, I I I find it weird it's never explained. It, oh, it might have been, but it's not important enough that I remembered. That would be like would be like oh yeah oh do, do you guys have fun. I don't want to make it all about me. You guys have fun. <laughs> Yeah, off you go. Off you go. Yeah. Anyway, so back to the film. At Doc Ock's lair, Spider-Man finds Dr. Octavius in an abandoned warehouse on a waterfront pier where he's restarted his fusion experiment and is holding MJ hostage. Spider-Man tries to sneak in and rescue Mary Jane, but Octavius catches him and they fight. Spider-Man manages to stun the villain with an electric shock, with the fusion reactor growing dangerously out of control and threatening the city. Spider-Man takes off his mask, reveals his true identity to Octavius, and pleads with him to stop the reactor. The shock of of seeing young Peter Parker brings Octavius to his senses. 
Determined to end his experiment before it can cause more harm, Octavius overwhelms the AI in his mechanical arms, brings them under control, and uses them to collapse the floor of the building, sacrificing his life in order to drown the reactor in the river. With his dying words, Octavius proclaims, I will not die a monster. This is, this is a real tragic character here. Was he, was, was he this tragic in the comic books? Um, it's hard to say mm. um, because he has, for the vast majority of his time, he's he's a horrific villain. Um, so after the Green Goblin, Doctor Octopus is Spidey's most iconic and recurring villain. Um, like from like from issue three. I mean, he he appears before Green Goblin does, mm. and right from the get go, he's portrayed as having big similarities to Peter Parker. He's smarter than everyone else, but he's a complete outcast. He's he's physically ridiculed. He's short and stout. Yeah. You know, he's 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 overweight. Yeah. He has no friends. All his colleagues make fun and, and pretty much borderline bully him. And all he has is is science and, and learning, you know? Very similar to Peter Parker. Yeah. And then a freak accident gives him these powers. But it also twists him inside and, and all those years of being bullied and persecuted and outcast kind of turn into rage for everyone around him. And and he's consumed with trying to make everyone recognize that he is their superior in, and and that they've overlooked him and that he he's 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 the one they should have all why why were you bullying me all these years instead of recognizing my greatness, right? Yeah, yeah. And over time it was kind of written by modern writers as like a cautionary tale of what could have happened to Peter Parker if Pete didn't have the love of his aunt and uncle and the lesson about responsibility. Um but he 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 does become a true maniacal supervillain, you know, and he he does want to hold the world hostage and he wants respect and admiration but only if he gets it through force and through fear and he, he he's very he's, he's very instrumental though in a lot of things he he assembles the very first uh sinister six is that a name that rings any bells with you i mean i don't know if that name's been used elsewhere but i recognize that name right away sinister six i don't know if it was from a spider-man video game though Possibly, yeah. yeah. Um, the Sinister Six is Otto assembles all of Spider-Man's top villains together. Um, Green Goblin hadn't, hadn't come around just yet, so he brings together um, Craven, uh, Vulture, uh, Electro, mm. Chameleon, and 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 they all and that that group has lasted throughout the decades. With lots of changes in membership, a lot like the Sugar Babes, so you still keep the name or the Drifters for some of you uh, a Boomer generation out there. <laughs> so you keep the name of the group, but all the personnel changes. Yeah. Um, he's he's had fleeting flashes of what might be considered compassion, like he does treat Aunt May very kindly mm. a couple of times, and um, once when the Vulture poisoned Spider-Man with a lethal virus. Otto saves his life, but that's kind of because he doesn't want anyone else to kill Spider-Man but himself, right? Yeah. So it's not quite compassion. Eventually, uh, Otto learns that 
all the battles and injuries and radiation he's suffered over the years, his body is failing him and, and he's dying rather quickly. He's only got months left to mm. live. So he, he, he builds himself kind of a portable robotic iron lung, awesome new arms, and he sets out a long calculated plot his final revenge on spider-man and the whole world and he he executes it like a game of chess he has he builds an army of octobots little robots with eight arms yeah uh, and he can control them over great distances like he can his own arms and it's an army of these little i mean they're about the size of a little small dog or a cat and they, they but there is like hundreds of thousands of them um, and he brings together an army of supervillains, he, he, including the reformed Sinister Six. For a lot of storylines, he's not the main attraction, but he's seen working in the background of other plots by other villains. He actually takes down other supervillains who might conquer the world before he gets there, because mm. he can't have that interrupt his final master plan. He intentionally loses big battles in order to obtain specific items, lull people into a false sense of security, move certain players in the right place on the chessboard. And, and finally, his master plan is revealed. Um, a fleet of powerful satellites surrounding the planet that he's taken control of. And he tells all nations that if they bend the knee and recognise him as the, the ruler, he will end global warming forever. <laughs> But if they refuse, because he and he he has the tech, and like Reed Richards and everyone else, like sees his plans and goes, he can do it, yeah. And but if they refuse to make him master of the world, he'll use the satellites to focus and vastly increase global warming in in any region that denies him. And he does it as a warning. He blasts this region, and it brings all humans to the brink of death with this huge huge level of of heat and uv radiation um the avengers are sent to stop him Mm. but otto's new sinister six with otto's direction they beat the avengers wow like strategically but he is planned okay electro this is how you beat thor and this is how you take out iron man and this is how we but 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 so you wipe out the avengers and the only person left that can do anything to stop him is spider-man um, it's a really, it's a really, it's a it's a great storyline in and of itself. But if you're reading the build up to it, you see all these little bits mm. along the way. It's so much cooler as well. Um, and that will is not even his greatest plot. <laughs> all right. Um, is it Mary Art May again? We don't have time. No, <laughs> no. We don't have time to cover it. In this episode. Hmm. So I think that will make a good subject for our August bonus full-length episode. The greatest thing Dr. Octopus ever achieved was killing Peter Parker, taking over his body, (laughs) and replacing him as Spider-Man for over three years. Oh, God. And that's what we'll delve into. Oh, you sound very excited. Uh, That's what we'll delve into. It's it's I'm not I'm not not excited. Episode. It just sounds like very like that's horrible. <laughs> Using his body, yeah, it's, it's 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 brutal, mate. It's, it just sounds like, um, oh, but it's man. also really cool. Yeah, that, that does sound cool, but brutal. 
For for over three for over three years, Peter Parker is not the star of the Spider Man comic. <laughs> And I think, as I said, there's a hell of a lot to go into. We can't cover it here, but that's our plan for the next bonus episode. So make sure you are subscribing on Patreon. Yes, please make sure. Anyway, back to the story. During the fight and explosion, Peter's true identity is revealed to Mary Jane. He tells her they can never be together because Spider-Man will always have enemies, which will always put her at risk like this. Mary Jane, who finally understands Peter's inability to be there for her, despairs there's this truth and looks on as spider-man swings away so can you tell us more about pete and mary jane's relationship in the comic books i mean how do they get together they are once gwen stacy dies mm. so they they were attracted to each other when he was going out with gwen stacy mainly because all the readers flooded Marvel offices with their fan letters about MJ. Mm. They were like, we want them to get together, we want them to get together. She's so much better than Gwen Stacy. She's awesome. She's she's got red hair and she goes out and parties and dances yeah. and her name means cannabis. She's amazing and she's feisty and she tells people she doesn't need them and Gwen Stacy's a bit of a wet blanket. So they start to steer them together. And then Gwen Stacy's death happens, but it isn't it isn't like just another thing that happens. Mm. It shatters this friendship group. Um, like, you know, Harry, it drives Harry back to drugs and, he, it, and then he breaks his brain and Pete grieves for a really long time and they dance around each other like because they're not really super close friends even though they're attracted to each other. Mm. And there's this there's a moment in there Pete lashes out at MJ because MJ is dealing with this grief by um by partying and by distracting herself yeah and that really offends pete and he lashes out at her and is like if all you're ever good for is partying then you shouldn't be around here right now because there's no party because my girlfriend just died why don't you just you know f off and she is about to do just that she walks to this really great composition on the page of, of this she she it's horrible being spoken to like that she walks towards the front door she puts her hand on the door and she really thinks about it and then she goes back and she puts her arm around him and they just cry together mm. and uh what they they have a very grown up relationship like they they are friends and they support each other through this horrible grief for a long period of time and they also like they worry about like what will people think like Gwen Stacy's just died. We jump into bed together. That's kind of gonna look awful, really. And also, they're both aware that Pete's really grieving for Gwen. Yeah. And so that's probably not healthy. And but they kind of get closer and closer. Um, to the point where Pete proposes marriage a couple of times and MJ shoots him down. He's like, Nope, no thank you. And she says it's because she doesn't want to be tied down to anyone. But the truth is she's worked out that he's secretly Spider-Man. She just she just puts all the pieces together. MJ knows Peter better than anyone else. And she just kind of... It's, it's quite... You know, she just puts all the pieces together and kind of really hates that he put himself in danger again and again. Doesn't want that life for a, a spell, especially after what happens to Gwen. <laughs> like, who wants to... Oh, so your last girlfriend was murdered by the Green Goblin. and uh, No thanks. <laughs> so it's just really... Big 
meaty, dramatic, emotional stuff. Mm. So he doesn't reveal her identity to her. She works it out. And she's always kind of positioned as like one step ahead of Pete, kind of almost emotionally and everything else. And she's got her own stuff going on. She was abused by her dad, and his dad's an alcoholic, and they have to kind of work through. That's why she doesn't want to be tied down to everyone, because when she grew up, a marriage was an that was her parents, and it was an awful thing that, that made everybody suffer. That's a real character a right there. What's going on with MJ, man? She's that's a real character right there. Absolutely, man. Yeah. She's a she's a really and he, he, I'm reading it now with a modern sensibility. Mm. The dialogue doesn't always work, and the storylines you kind of have to take, you know, a little bit. The, the, you take the cheese on board, and you kind of have to. But she's especially compared to Gwen, who I'm sorry <laughs> was just a wet blanket. She's she's great. They they do get together. She's able to. She to be fair though during the during the relationship she always really hated him being Spider Man because of how much danger he was in. But yeah, it's it's a really great little adult kind of, and I don't mean adult in the sexy way, <laughs> adult in the grown up way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Uh, so yeah. Back to the, back 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 to the movie. I mean, we're 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 in the end throws here, and there's still there's still more to go. So Harry in the is, end zone. End zone. We're at the end zone. So Harry is losing it across town. Harry has visions of his father, the late Norman Osborn, in a hanging mirror. The illusion demands that his son kill Peter Parker to avenge his death. Harry refuses and hurls a dagger at the mirror, shattering it and revealing a secret room containing the Green Goblin's weapons. So, that was so cool. It, it was. It was very. I. I. It's, ty- oh, it's typical. It's- I went. I just went. I went nuts in the cinema because there's no, like, if someone's name isn't on the movie, you don't expect them to be on it because, especially a, you know, a, a kind of a, a star. Ah, oh, it was, it was awesome. I absolutely. It, it awesome. was. It was good to see him. But part of me was like, is this pre-recorded footage or something? And found out. Looked into this. Apparently, uh, not. It, it was it, mm. as well as being a very cool scene and a, a very awesome surprise reveal of Willem Dafoe as Norman Osborn. Uh, this scene and surprise appearance was actually Defoe's idea. Yeah, he, he came up. Yeah, William Defoe's idea. It was all his idea. He came up with it uh, like during the promotion for the previous film, and he, he like he told uh. Sam Raimi about the idea, and they went all right and written it into the movie. <laughs> That's so cool. I mean, it's, it's to be fair, he did ensure he gets another payday, but still, he, 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 that's re- that is cool. It, isn't it? It, it, it kind of it kind of works out for everybody, but it is him going going. Let me let me put me in the Spider Man film again. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good Defoe. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah. I think what what's really good about it is that the difference between like comic books and movies is that. As a comic book fan, a long-standing reader, I'm acutely aware when I'm watching a movie that it's going to end, and like like that that actor is only there for that movie. I'm always aware of that with the villains; they are not coming back. There's an awful lot of that in MCU as well. It's one and done, right? Hmm. Whereas in the comic books, like these narratives kind of go on and on and on, and you never know who's going to come up. So that I think I really enjoyed it for that aspect that it felt like. The worlds are still all connected, and that just because he's not, you know, it wasn't just what I mean. It was one and done, but it really made things lace together nicely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So even further in the of the end throws of the film, 
Oh, sorry. This is this is this is the last last bit of the film. So Mary Jane leaves her wedding, and defines Peter in his apartment, telling him that she has decided to be with him. Despite the risks, they exchange an ardent kiss, but is quickly interrupted by the sound of police sirens. She looks on with worry as Spider-Man pursues the cop cars, and the film ends. So we have some thoughts from a listener. On this end scene, uh, Alex Palmer wrote to us yeah. about this last moment. I think pretty much sums it up. Like the last, he says, the last scene after MJ says, Go get him, Tiger, and he jumps out the window. He swings off, and as the camera cuts back to MJ, there's something in her expression that fades from happiness to something between concern and this can't end well. A complex emotional beat at the end of a movie that already did an unbelievable job addressing the complexities of heroes in a way we hadn't seen yet. That, yeah, I mean, he, he really nails it with that because there, it, it, it isn't just, go get him, Tiger, and the rising score and it's done. You linger on her and you see her go to this other place. Mm. Um, and it is, it is worry and concern and it is nearly fear, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and... I think he sums up what we what we perhaps have been struggling to put our finger on is that this movie and the movie before are are about the complexities perhaps the emotional complexities of this character and of being a hero and what it means to be a hero and what it means to be responsible in such a large way yeah. in a way that I don't think I don't think we get terribly complex MCU movies. I don't yeah. think we get terribly complex DC modern DC movies. And again, I'm not they're not bad. They're thoroughly thoroughly enjoyable. But this one to be able to juggle uh that much kind of emotion and and that kind of complexity of character with a rollicking action-packed roller coaster summer blockbuster. I think this is Sam Raimi's greatest work. And I say that as a big fan of Evil Dead 2 <laughs> and, and all the rest, right? But I, I think this is a Herculean yeah. task. And it's amazing that he did it. Yeah. Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, I, I, I'll, shall, shall, I, shall I go on to my final thoughts of the movie? Please yeah. do, man. I'm eager. I'm very, very eager. eager. So basically... Like my experience of the film was obviously I saw it once and went ah that was quite fun. I th- I think I had better memories of playing the Spider-Man Two video game on the PlayStation Two, or I think it was Xbox. I was playing it on. Great game. Uh, you you get to do the story of the film as well as they chuck in a whole load of other villains like Mysterio and the like in there. You know just to, just to beef it out. And it was a very good game because yeah. it was the first game I've ever played a realistic New York City in. But um. Going back to going back to this film, uh, after learning how to appreciate how, not only how to appreciate film but how to appreciate uh, a Marvel film and how it works, it's it's surprising. I was taken aback by how good it was. Like, yeah, it it's. I think because I'm too used to the MCU being like, yes, there are good bits and there, and sometimes it delves into dark adult territory and historical stuff. Just you know, just 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 to bring you in line that all oh, this is almost like our world, etc. Uh, but but at the same time, they have they can't go too deep 
because they're part of an ongoing franchise and they've got to get to the next one, the next one, the next one. Because Sam Raimi did a three-movie uh, deal with this, he was able to just really focus and spend so much attention on each film rather than this uh, interchangeable director or producer or whatever that goes on with the MCU um, series. So I, I think it, this film definitely shows so how, how much care can go into a superhero film, how much thought and appreciation go in. Yeah, man, I, I couldn't agree more. And I also think it's, it's worth, because we, we've talked, you know, sometimes you talk about complexity and emotion and it makes it sound like a dull film. Mm. It, like you, the first thing you said about this was it was a joy from start yeah, to finish. Joy. And I think that's really important. It, it's funny, it's fun, it's exciting, you know, but, but, but it does have complexity, it has weight, it has gravitas to it, it has emotion to it. But more than that, I think, you know, the, 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 the overall thing has to be, if it's not enjoyable and fun, it's failed as a movie, yeah. isn't it? Um, but I, I do slightly worry that we spend so much time going with the complexity, <laughs> the character arc, you know. Whereas it's just, it is, it, it's, an, it's a really, it, it's it's great. It's really, really good. I, I rewatched the first one as well, obviously, because we did an episode on it. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> but having watched both of them, I, I think I've seen two more than one. I grew a, a bigger appreciation for watching one again because I think that does an incredible job. Mm. Um, and it's been a while since I've seen three. And whilst, you know... There's disappointment involved in it. I there is there is good stuff in there, so that that could be uh, and will be a future episode, I'm sure. Oh, I, I hope well, so. Even for just the then? Bruce Campbell for just the Bruce Campbell uh, cameo in that, because that was just perfect. But of course, I am French. <laughs> you know, we skipped over. I've just realised we skipped over the whole theatre scene. Like we did, that wasn't in our plot synopsis, was it at all? No, no, we didn't have that on our notes. I mean, what what what's there to I say? Think, what's I there think to it say? was just written out as. Yeah, he tried to go see the play and he didn't. <laughs> he, did, he, he did. He did. And uh, um, Bruce Campbell happened to be the uh, the, the the usher. Snooty usher. Snooty usher. Yeah. Snooty usher. It it, it was yeah. quite a good cameo. Well, what then will as we wrap up? What would you? What would be your favourite Marvel trivia? That, that I have espoused here from my throne. Well, what's been the most enjoyable tidbit from the uh, the coloured world of the comic books? Well, I mean, I could go for anything to Harry uh, discovering who Spider-Man was because he've got to put his mask on, or Doc Ock marrying <laughs> Aunt May because of a nuclear <laughs> island in the Caribbean, uh, or any of that. But I am going to go for another roll of the dice with another trivia for you. And I'm for you this time. What? Yes. I what? Turns out you can't I turn the tables on me. <laughs> hey, you what sti- trivia? What trivia could you possibly have, Will? What trivia could I have? The man who never reads Marvel comic books. I know things. <laughs> so, so, is this about comic books then? No, no, no. Well, this is about the film. This is about the film. Uh, when? Oh, yeah. This is this, okay, again. This okay, is me being okay. technical. Well, I say technical. Uh, when Maguire, Tobey Maguire, signed on to portray Spider-Man um, in 2000. He was given a three-film contract, mm. of course, but but while filming Seabiscuit, which I've never seen... Have you seen that? Because... I uh, know. I, I, I did not no. fancy seeing that film. Horses, horses do not interest me. Horses... I have no uh, urge for equine. Truck. <laughs> I have no truck with horses. No. And also, it's a big... I mean, I'll be honest, if I'm on that Tinder and I'm scrolling, 
and I see one of those horse girls, you know, girls that love horses, bit of a red flag. Um, just, just put it out there. I, think, I, I put I, it out there. I don't see the appeal in horses, and and I and I think people who see appeal in horses are weird people. There you go. That's my stance. <laughs> horse people, you're weird. You're weird. Can't it can't love you. It's a horse. Can't snuggle up with you. It's a horse. They are for transport and food if you're French. Anyway. Or Hungarian. <laughs> anyway, I have I have tried horse in my time. Not bad. Um, <laughs> uh, what so anyway. While yeah, fil- sea biscuit. But while filming uh, Sea Biscuit, Toby Maguire in in you know late two thousand, uh, Maguire suffered back injuries, and Sony, the uh, studio, uh, was faced with the possibility of recasting Spider Man for the sequel, which is oh. can you imagine that? Well, because if he was if he was he's got the contract, but if he's injured, yeah, yeah. he can't. I mean, he can't do it. Yeah. He might even you know what it might even it might have even been an insurance mm-hmm. thing because. Um, I know from uh, the wrestling world, like wrestlers can't because of something that happened to The Rock in the ring, where he was scheduled for Hercules, and then he had uh, one of his matches with John Cena and tore the pectorals muscles, and it delayed filming by several months, which cost hundreds of thousands of, if not millions, and they reckon from that point on, the insurance companies. That deal with Hollywood and actors will not insure you if you're an active wrestler now yeah. to be on a Hollywood set because the injuries can cost so much money. So yeah, he might not have been able to get insurance even if he was even if he had a doctor shooting full of steroids and painkillers. Like the insurance company might have gone, it's not happening. We are not letting him on set. Oh man, yeah, and that wasn't even the most interesting bit. Uh, but because because of what happened to McGuire, like when they started to negotiate. Who the replacement could be? Uh, they they were thinking of uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Really, I'd heard, I'd heard his name connected with with Spider Man for a long time. So they were thinking, or they, I th- or they'd start, what? Well, it's apparently they, basically they were going to replace McGuire with Jake Gyllenhaal if his injuries prevented him from filming the very physical filming. So it was a certain. Oh, so con- they could have actually done. Right. Yeah. So they actually did negotiations then. Apparently. Apparently. Apparent, holy, what a world. Yeah. Which is interesting when you consider Jake Gyllenhaal popping up later <gasps> as Mysterio. Yes. Man, Mysterio is nearly Spider Man. That is. Wow. That's that's weird. Okay. That's weird. That's my that's my favourite piece of trivia of this episode. <laughs> you have turned the lay tables on me. Sometimes I've got to bring things um, to the table. Sometimes I've got to, you know, <laughs> pull my weight up. Um, I missed this off the last episode and caught fire for it. Oh, well, caught dear. some heat for this. Uh, read it, the reading list, Rob's reading list, which everyone insisted I do, which is cool. I think it's a great idea. I don't know how I missed it last last time. I, my apologies for that. Um, so the first thing you probably want to take a look at is Spider Man No More, the the issue issue fifty of Amazing Spider Man, which which led to to this story here. Um, and you can pick up well, you can pick up an original copy of issue fifty for about four or five grand. But if you <laughs> if you don't want to uh, go that route, then there's there's plenty of um, stories that. In collected edition stories that have this and the subsequent uh, 
stories about Kingpin and Hammerhead and all sorts going on. Um, I would check out Marvel's line of epic collections, which are they're, they're trade paperback collections of older older comics, and you get a run of them, and so you could easily get Spider-Man No More and a bunch of others. But you can use that to explore a lot of the wild and wacky 1960s stuff and check out how amazing Jorometer's art style is in the time. And you can pick up some of those for like between 15 and I think 25 pounds, English pounds. And so that's a nice, affordable way of getting a bunch of the 60s comics and and exploring them. And do remember, if you've never read comic books before, (laughs) you will have to sort of... Or if you've only ever read modern comic books before, you do have to kind of adjust your expectations of the older ones it, it, it's very it, it's it's not it's not like reading a modern day comic book the stories <laughs> are slightly more simplistic and they're slightly more cartoonish and the dialogue is again from a different from different age so just have a think about that before you want to invest you know 20 odd quid in 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 something from back then i'd also highly 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 recommend um the doc ox world conquering plan and the Sinister Six and the Avengers. So check out. There's an amazing Spider-Man collection called The Ends of the Earth, which is part of Dan Slott's amazing decade writing Spider-Man. Um, so that's my reading list for this episode. Um, don't forget, uh, head over to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. And we have full-length bonus episodes every month for patrons. We've got Annihilation um, that tied into the Guardians of the Galaxy. And in the next one, as we've already said, we will explore the biggest victory any Marvel supervillain has ever scored. We'll take a look at the genius of Dr. Octopus and just who and what is the superior Spider-Man. So head over to uh, Patreon and sign up for the £10 membership to get access to that in the next episode. I can't believe we talked about this off air, <laughs> Will. Yep. I can't believe we are this far into our journey and we've yet to tackle the characters that started the Marvel Universe. We have yet to go near them. So in the next episode, we're going to look take a look at the most important characters in the history of Marvel, perhaps the greatest Marvel comic book series of all time. Be here next time as we explore the Fantastic Four for the first time ever. We're both hype about that. Will, what is your Twitch stream again? Plug that one more time, baby. Oh, Mondays, yeah. Wednesdays and Fridays. What's the address? So if you just go to www.twitch.tv slash willpreston87. And just that's 6pm GMT, three times a week. Exciting stuff. Well, thanks for listening and join us next time on Marvel vs. Marvel. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Don't forget to like and subscribe and hey, why not share us with a friend who loves all things Marvel? Watch along with the next episode, which will be the Fantastic Four. Don't forget, there are bonus episodes available at patreon.com slash marvel vs. marvel.